0: This is the Screaming Pods Network on ScreamingPods.com. Welcome to the Screamcast episode 150. I am Sean DeReger and with me is Stephanie Crawford.
1: Hi.
0: Everyone else bailed. It <laughs> so
2: totally stood us up.
0: So you got us today.
2: I'm so sorry.
0: <laughs> today we are talking about a few things. We're going to be talking about Kevin Tenney's Gothic. As well as a 1989 film called The Dark Tower, not the Stephen King film, and then 2001's The Forsaken. We also may have some special guests popping in and out of the episode, so I'm pretty excited about it. Are you? I am. Do I not sound? Do do I not sound excited?
2: (laughs) No, you do. I just am backing you up here.
0: I always wonder because, like, when my my wife will like, she'll show, show me something, and I'll be like, "Oh yeah, that's cool," and she'll be like, "That's it, like that's all you got for me." <laughs> so I'm like, "Oh no, am I diving into that territory? I better not because it's a podcast. We need to have Wait, energy, Kevin, all the time."
3: Kevin <laughs> <said> Tenney Gothic.
0: <laughs> you
3: said Kevin Tenney.
0: <laughs> I said Kevin Tenney. <laughs>
3: I'm like, I watched the wrong. Oh gothic.
0: man. <laughs> Yeah, this is starting out fantastic. Ken Russell.
3: (laughs) Like, oh, God, can I
0: see like a
2: witch board version of Gothic really quickly without Sean? Well, I
0: was just I was just listening to Bloody Popcorn and they were talking Kevin Tenney. uh, So I must have got (laughs) my wires crossed here. It's still early. We're recording early uh, on a Saturday morning and it is 7 a.m. People. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> so uh, yeah, Ken Russell, not Kevin Tenney. And now you know people give a shit online, which is fine.
2: No, I think we should make the entire episode. What would it be like if Kevin Tenney directed <laughs> Gothic instead of Ken Russell? Yeah, I know my imagination's going okay, but your yeah kind of indicates your imagination is not going. So I'll let this go for
0: now. Well, we'll we'll talk about Ken Russell in a little bit because he, he he has some issues. So, um, so I don't know.
1: Yeah.
0: They would be, they enjoying? would be, <laughs> it'd be two very different films. Kevin Tenney's Gothic or Ken Russell's Gothic for sure. So maybe we can, uh, yeah, we can do that. We'll, we'll mess around, <laughs> but first let's jump into what's on our doorstep.
4: Holy cow. I almost forgot. We'll get the door.
0: pizza. Anybody else want to go? No. No. All right. Oh. All right. Oh. <laughs> I know, it's, it's, It feels like it feels like we've you know I don't know. I work in an office and we have meetings and it feels like like the Monday meeting where like everyone's called in sick or is on vacation and it's just like me and like my boss, and, like the one other uh, employee in the, in the group and we're just kind of sitting around just trying to make the meeting work.
2: I keep checking the employee Slack chat, but nobody's here today. <laughs> That's okay, everybody. We'll get this done. Okay. Let's see. Uh, recently, um, uh, ooh, I rewatched Tragedy Girls, mm. which everybody knows and everybody loves, but I've never talked about on this show. I,
0: I haven't watched it yet. What? Yeah, I haven't watched it yet. <gasps>
2: Sean, you for a treat.
0: I just got the Blu-ray and it's... And the nerdy person of myself is like, this is a BDR, this is a manufactured on demand, and I got nerdy I about it. But kind of I can't bizarre. wait to watch it. Yeah, but uh, I'm excited. I've heard so many good things about it. Tell, tell me, tell me about it.
2: Ooh. <laughs> Well, I hate, uh, when I really, really, really enjoy something, I always hate overhyping it because everyone's different than me. And, uh, I don't know if you've noticed this. sometimes it can have an effect if something is like everyone loves something. Sometimes I'm like, well, I don't know.
0: <laughs> no, <laughs> oh yeah. That happens to me quite I a don't bit. I put
2: off watching this. Like, <laughs> so I, I don't like to cause that to happen to anyone else. Um. But Tragedy Girls is—it's uh, wonderful if you like your horror to have a little bit of humor in it, but not a full horror comedy. Uh, it has a great sense of humor throughout it, but uh, the kills are awesome. The characters are—they're full, like beautiful characters. They have an arc that makes sense. You really care about them, and if you like uh, the final girls, you'll probably really like Tragedy Girls. So many girls. Awesome. <laughs> awesome. So, yeah, my first time for this year, it's one of those movies I immediately want to watch again and, like, force it on all of my friends. I love movies <laughs> like that. So I'm glad you got the Blu-ray. Are there any extras on it?
0: I think there's I think a, I think a couple. I don't have it nearby. I think there's, I think it's just a commentary. I think. It's on my massive no, to-watch pile. I watch love Bible. commentaries
2: enough. Yeah, where why isn't your Sean stack right next to you? <laughs>
0: what well, is? It was I'm looking at it, but I it's you know I can't read it right now. It's somewhere in there.
2: Uh okay and beneath repo uh, chip. Another one I watched on um <laughs> Yeah, it has uh stars two different Marvel actresses. So that's fun. <laughs> it is fun, Sean. Don't you fake laugh me. It's a it lot fun. of fun. Uh, The one I fell in love with, though, is I just recently saw FX for the first time.
0: Oh, nice.
2: And uh, I was, you know, looking around streaming. Um, Unfortunately, this is a separate subscription channel, but you can get a free trial through Amazon Prime. So I've been doing that. I saw they had FX, too, and I lost. I was so excited. So (laughs) I've now seen them both. Have you seen them both?
0: Oh, yeah. Oh, I I love it. I was first uh, introduced to those movies through FX2. That was the first one that I watched. And I remember, like, loving the opening scene. And I want to see that movie that they're creating with the cyborg. Yes. uh (laughs)
2: No, as it it played out for more than five seconds, I was like, oh, it it began, like, the last one with the movie within the movie. Mm -hmm. But exactly. Like I mentioned on Twitter, it was like Total Recall meets The Hidden. It looks fantastic amazing.
0: (laughs) Someone Uh, needs to go back and look at and, and create full length versions of those films. I mean, the one in FX two, it kind of is a, you know, a take on alienator in a way. Yeah.
2: Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And the first one, um, with like the mobsters getting killed in the restaurant, I watched (laughs) a movie that code red released a few days after, uh, called uh, Papa Needs a New Pair of Shoes, I think it was. <laughs> and it had a scene with these mobsters in an Italian restaurant. I was like, it's going to happen. It's going gonna, it's gonna to get FX in here. It didn't, unfortunately, <laughs> but that connection made me really happy. But FX, too, uh, it seems to split people. A lot of people don't seem to like it or they don't like it nearly as much. I enjoyed it far more than the first one, and I really dug the first one. Yeah. I think the first one it's a little bit more gritty. It it's fun, but it takes itself a little more seriously. This one kind of just goes for it, um, and I personally love that. Uh, the clown Brian Dennehy romancing is just oh, it's so good. <laughs> so uh, if you want to check it out on streaming, uh, you could do the free trial of a Comic Con. TV, I think oh. it's called, but it's on Amazon Prime. And they have uh some other things like uh oh I finally saw the Lords of Salem last night.
0: Fine oh you haven't watched it yet?
2: No, which is funny because I've always been a huge Rob Zombie fan. Like I was on his street team for House of a Thousand Corpses, like Years before it was released, we had like these weird little black promo posters and I, I put it up in my room. I was like, one day it's going to come out one day, four <laughs> years later, it finally comes out. And I've seen him in concert a few times. But uh, for some reason, this one, I think is because the the Halloween movies left me a little cold. Mm-hmm. So I wasn't rushing out to see it. And I was a little inebriated when I watched it. So I'm not. It seems like it's a good movie to see when you're a little altered, though. I ca- I'm kind Lords of, of Salem? Yeah.
0: Yeah, John, uh, uh, John Squires, who is Freddy in Space on Twitter, he's he has an article saying that it's like an R-rated version of Hocus Pocus.
2: Yeah, I could see the <clears> connections <throat> there. Um, yeah, it. I guess I shouldn't have brought it up because I'm still processing it. <laughs> but uh, if you're like me and you like some of zombie's movies, maybe you don't love all of them. Uh, so you haven't, this one is, I feel like it's him reaching back a little bit, like more in his like visual arts background, pulling that in. Uh, I like that even though it's a, it's a very classic story informed by a lot of other um narratives and historical events but it is his uh it's a unique story mm-hmm. i guess i'm trying to say and sherry moon is great in it
1: yeah i fantastic. have to stop
2: myself from calling her sherry kitty moon <laughs> <laughs> that's how far back i go but uh it was fun and then after immediately after that i watched a movie called Discopath and that scrambled my brains even more
0: Discopath Tell, yeah, like tell psychopath. me a little bit about DiscoPath. You can't.
2: <laughs> <laughs> okay, I feel like I'm going on too long. I'm sorry. But, no, no,
0: no. Um, I need to hear about DiscoPath. So,
2: because <clears throat> okay. apparently,
0: uh, I mean, you can't just drop a name like that and move on. So <laughs> please, please, Watch what is me. what is DiscoPath?
2: Dropping the mic on DiscoPath. <laughs> okay. Well, you know, I saw the title. I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm clicking on that. And it's, I didn't look up anything on it. I just started playing it. And it's apparently in 1970s New York City. I was like, oh, it looks like people are dubbed over or have very inconsistent accents. And then I saw it was a French director. I was like, oh, I suppose it's like a French movie. And then some people sounded Canadian and French Canadian. I was like, are they trying to pass French Canada? as New York City. (laughs) And they kind of were. And it was great. But uh, fairly early in the movie, no spoilers, the lead character finds a reason to immediately get on Quebec air. And then the movie is like mostly French subtitles after that. Like enough of this New York City. I need to go hiding in Quebec. (laughs) (laughs) but it's um it's low budget, but it it's a really great looking film, and it's just about a a guy uh when he hears disco music, he kind of goes into an altered state and starts killing people.
0: doesn't everybody though
2: sure, but I was surprised looking at the budget, like they like officially licensed out like really good songs and like actual disco songs, which uh I was impressed by. A lot of people were saying it's, like, inspired by uh, Giallo, which uh, visually, yeah, I, there's one death scene that would totally be at home. Uh, but it's kind of like, okay, do you know the early The Donna's albums where, like, they're in their, like, bedroom looking all cool? Like, a yeah. teenage bedroom? It kind of reminded me of, like, this movie kind of looks like an early Donna's album <laughs> with, like, little hands <laughs> <laughs> of Giallo. Uh,
1: but I, I would actually, it.
2: if you're kind of, <laughs> yeah, it's definitely worth checking out. It, it's kind of, it's not amazing or anything, but it, it's unique. Uh, it's unusual and the accent game is fascinating. <laughs> so I where, would recommend it.
0: Where did you Amazon. find this on, what was on Amazon prime or Netflix or yeah. would you find this?
2: Yeah, it was either on that comic con, uh, streaming okay. or it would be on regular Amazon prime. Either comic-con
0: way, streaming let's that's that's, that's that's new to me
2: mm. yeah it looks like they they mostly focus on like fan-centric documentaries like they had a documentary about the supernatural fandom on there but they have some very random horror <laughs> movies too so it's worth the seven-day trial like i just i'm cheap so i just cram in as many movies <laughs> as i can so Sean, what's on your doorstep?
0: My doorstep is is lacking this week. Not very, uh, you know, not very high, but that's but that's fine. Um, I did finally get around to uh, not finally. I guess it just recently came out, but uh, the sequel to Skyline, Beyond Skyline. What are your Stephanie? What are your thoughts on on Skyline? Did you ever see the first Skyline?
2: Mm. Okay, well, first I'm going to ask you, what is Skyline?
0: Okay, never mind then. <laughs> yeah. Skyline is a uh, was a low budget science fiction film that came out, gosh, five or six years ago, maybe. But um, it basically takes place mostly in an apartment complex and aliens are invading, sucking people up through the air. Pretty cool visual. It's uh, directed by um, Liam O'Donnell, who was, is, you know, was a science or was a special effects guy. I forget what movie he was working on. He was working on a big budget alien invasion movie at the time as well. I want to say, I want to say it was, um, what was that one where they all, it's like, soldiers versus aliens. What is that? It got bad reviews, but I loved it. And it's anyway. So he, uh, uh, battle Los Angeles. Oh, okay. I'm not sure if he was on that. He was on some big budget film that came around the same time. Um, and he somehow with his connections, got a a huge marketing push. It got, I mean, it was, this thing was like all over comic con posters everywhere trailers. And unfortunately, when the movie came out, since it was low budget, one, you know, one location, low budget movie with some special effects thrown in, it got kind of hammered and it's really not that good. Like the, all the stuff in the apartment, it's, it's all okay with everything going on and, you know, outside. You kind of want to see all that, but the movie spoiler for Skyline, by the way, the first movie, because you need to kind of know what's going on going in, but all you really need to know going, Forward is the last like 10 to 15 minutes of Skyline because our two lead characters get sucked up into the alien spaceship. And then the whole thing is like the aliens are popping out people's brains like pez, just popping them out, Ooh. and using them as like batteries to run these like exoskeleton alien suits or whatever. I don't know. Um so the two our two lead characters get sucked up, their brains get popped out, or no, the guy's brain gets just popped out, but his brain turns uh, a bright orange, and once it gets put in the alien spacesuit, and orange Oh fact. my gosh, oh my gosh, he's controlling the spacesuit. His brain. He's somehow he has taken over the spacesuit, and it's still him in an alien body.
2: <clears throat> wow, you just sold this movie, Danny. Uh, I'm
0: writing it, and you. then he he like. Goes in this like action pose. Oh, and his his girlfriend or they find out during the movie that his girl or during Skyline, you find out that she's that his girlfriend's pregnant. So uh anyway, he's he does like an action hero pose and Skyline ends. So of course you're like wondering like that's like you want to see more, right? Like when a movie ends like that, you're like oh, yeah. what is gonna happen? I need to see what else is going on, but it ends. So the last I would say only watch the last 15 minutes of Skyline. If you don't watch the whole thing, it's fine. But but that last 15 minutes is so
2: Sean is every filmmaker's crazy. friend.
0: <laughs> it saves the whole movie. I'm not, we'll get to that in a little bit. I'm not every filmmaker's <laughs> friend. Um so Beyond Skyline takes it from there and uh Frank Grillo stars in this one. And if you put Frank Grillo in a movie you had me at hello. You had me at Grillo. Am I right?
3: Yeah. There you go. <laughs> oh
0: my god. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, same scenario. Aliens are sucking everyone up, and it's him and his and his son. They have like a stressed, relate, strained relationship, and all this shit starts going down. He's like a. A cop or he's like a cop on leave or something i uh, i think his wife some i don't know some some tragedy happened he's like a drunk ex-cop or on leave or whatever and all this shit starts going down yada 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 don't want to spoil it but the characters from the last movie do appear in this one they do it in a way where you don't necessarily have to have seen skyline they explain it all and it's done i think done pretty well i think they kind of you know, we're trying to make this as standalone as possible, which, um, I actually like it when sequels do that, when you don't have to do insane, crazy, heavy lifting, especially with this Mm -hmm. one, because I knew this one was getting another big marketing push. And I was like, man, I was like, I don't think everyone saw skyline. (laughs) So,
1: (laughs) but uh, no, it's pretty great.
0: Yeah, no, the effects are pretty great. Um, and that's the thing about the first skyline is the effects and the design were fantastic. And that's what caught everyone's eye on these posters and stuff. So this is, this is fun. The effects are okay. Uh, there's some, you know, some chintzy CGI here and there, but, uh, it's fun. It's surprising. It's, it's R rated, which is great. Brains popping out left and right. Like that's every time that would happen. I would just put Um, that sound effect in my own head.
2: Is that in the movie? That sound effect.
0: No, um maybe I can talk the filmmakers into going back and kind of doing some overdubbing yes, for uh, like the Skyline collector's people. edition release.
2: Ignore him saying to skip most of your first movie. I apologize for that. <laughs> Please just focus on his sound effects work, which I think speaks for itself.
0: Right. Perfect. I am uh you can find me uh you you'll find my contact info at thescreamcast.com. Just go to the contact button and send me an email. Excellent. But um but I th- I think they knew I think they knew what they had with their first movie. Like, I think, I mean, it was their first movie. So it just, I think I'm it got, unfortunately, overhyped. Like, you're talking about being overhyped. It got overhyped. And I think if people would have discovered uh, Skyline on, say, Netflix, people would be a little more generous to it, I think.
2: Yeah, that's interesting because uh, I looked it up and I do remember seeing that poster and it's like I just glossed over it. I'm like, oh, I, I assumed it was like another big budget, glossy, kind of nothing sci-fi movie. But if I would have seen a trailer with like brains popping up, I'd be like, yep, I'm in. Opening weekend, I'm in. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's kind of interesting where marketing money goes sometimes.
0: Yeah, and they marketed the hell out of it. I mean, just I don't know. But um, that's Beyond Skyline. I highly recommend it. If you love science fiction, action flicks, uh, definitely great. If you were kind of wary going into this based off the first film, um, this is, you know, this is I think this is the vision they originally had. They just had budgetary constraints, which is why Skyline ended up in like a, a one location type film. Oh, okay. But uh, no, this this scratches all those itches you were missing from the first Skyline. You know, so all right, moving along. Did I? I didn't talk about the box last week, did I?
2: I don't. I don't listen to anybody.
0: I don't think I. I don't think I did. I had this in the stack to talk about, and I don't know if I did or not. But um, I don't remember talking about Richard Kelly the last episode, no, so I'm you, just going to go didn't. for it. I'm
1: just being a jerk.
0: Okay. You're All right. Um, so <laughs> this is basically the film that killed Richard Kelly's career. And Richard Kelly, of course, director of Donnie Darko, which is a a favorite film of mine and um i i like the direction that he was going with this film like I, I i just i don't know why what happened with him but like the premise of the box is you basically all heard about it i mean james marsden and uh hold it wait hold, and cameron diaz um cameron diaz top billing by the way um, she's a favorite of mine, I think she's pretty good in this, but her and her husband, her her and Frank and James Marsden get a like a box, and they're in some financial trouble, and basically if you push this button, you'll get like a million dollars or something like that, cold hard cash, but um, someone you don't know will die, and that's the whole premise, great little premise based on a short story, uh, Frank Langella shows up with the box, he's great, I think he's, his performances is harmed by some really bad kind of CGI. He, he they, it's like they took the CGI from two face, you know, uh, it was the dark Knight two face and they, uh, put it on yep. Frank Mangella, and it's, you yeah. know, they could have done it without that. Just do some, just do some uh, Freddy Krueger makeup. That that that's even more effective. But I think trying to stretch this short story into a long feature length film, I think kind of kind of gets lost. It kind of gets boring for a while, and there's no like the, the payoff isn't as like hard hitting as I think it could be. It's still kind of a hard hitting film. Like it, I don't, I don't, I don't want to spoil. I don't like spoiling, going into spoiling films. If you haven't seen it, I would say stick around for the ending because. Um, they, 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 you know, he goes for the gut punch which is which is great and I'm always for that but um, yeah I don't know what, what happened with this film I think Richard Kelly is he's operating on a different level like a filmmaking level like he's thinking about a lot of things like um, philosophically and through religion and all this kind of stuff so the, all that's kind of woven through the film which is for me that's like crack I mean I, if you start weaving in like religious and philosophical themes I'm like I'm all in but I think it's it's kind of hand, handled clumsily, and I think the mainstream audience, I think, uh, just rejected that, and they didn't didn't really like it. So um, I would say if, you, if you've been sitting on and haven't seen it, I was like, give it a shot. It's not as bad as you've heard.
2: So do you think this is the movie that impacted his career more than Southland Tales?
0: Mm, uh, I think it was a downward trajectory. I think it didn't help. I think Southland Tales was so ambitious and just... I don't think it hit all the notes, people. I I don't know. It's, it's one of those things. It's like the, it's like the whole M night Shyamalan thing where you start with a really good, really, really well, you know, beloved movie and they kind of have diminishing returns. I think it happened faster for Richard Kelly. I think M night Shyamalan kind of had a few lesser, but still like, um, you know, there was unbreakable, which a lot of people dug, but it, it just, it just kind of went down from there. And I think Richard Kelly had a huge drop off with Southland tales but I, I like Southland tales. I don't know. Like, um,
2: that one definitely has its cult following. I think with, uh, like you start out with a movie like Donnie Darko and a lot of people have a downward trajectory. Like you mentioned, it's that your first movie that you get done that first screenplay, you've had years to hone it. You know, you, you can make it perfect. You can, and then all of a sudden it's a success you're immediately getting deals and you can't really turn them down. You know, you need to get your career going. So you don't have the time. Now you have pressure and you have people watching what you do. And uh, if you don't have that luxury of time anymore, I think that's why we see that so often with like a near perfect first film and then kind of down from there. Yeah. I think that happens a lot.
0: Yeah. All right. So that is the box. Um, And finally, um, I'll mention it really quick. Um, The Cloverfield Paradox, I I gave that a watch. And that was this whole marketing thing where it just got dropped on us. I heard that there was some troubled productions and uh, troubled troubled production and all that kind of stuff. And that um, who's the studio releasing it? Paramount kind of, it was reported. It was like, oh, it's just been dumped to Netflix. Uh, But I watched it. I am a sucker for space horror. Um, so I dug the hell out of it. Like I'm, I'm a fan of the movie life. I'm a fan of the alien movies, even the most recent, like Prometheus and alien covenant. I, I look past all the flaws and I just love it because it's horror in space, you know? And I, I, I dug this movie. I think, I think they have a They're having a hard time weaving this Cloverfield stuff into these films because none of these films start out as Cloverfield movies, and they're kind of either after the fact. Like I think they did this with Ten Cloverfield Lane, where I feel like they bought either it was close to being finished or it was the finished film, and then they tacked in some Cloverfield stuff. Dan Trachtenberg, the director of Ten Cloverfield Lane, has been very he's maneuvered around these questions. (laughs) So, so the, everyone's kind of keeping, you know, keeping everything quiet on how they do these films. But to me, it looks like they're taking all these unrelated things, trying to weave in this Cloverfield stuff, whether or not, like they don't really care if it really ties into everything. Um, this one is, there's a, a little more for sure. Like, yeah, this is related to Cloverfield for sure. I don't want to spoil anything, but for sure, for sure, they tack that in there. Um, But I, for me, I think it's a, doing a disservice for these as films because everyone's going in and expecting this. Oh, we're going to learn more about the Cloverfield universe. And I'm like, no, these are unrelated. But but see, but this, you know, one thing relates directly to the first movie. I'm like, yeah, it's tacked on. Can you tell it's tacked on? So if you approach these for what they are, I think they're fun little genre exercises but uh, I feel like they're doing a disservice trying to tag, you know, bring all this extra stuff in. And, and uh, I don't think it, I don't know if it's going to work because the next film is going to be it's going to be coming out in October and it takes place in World War Two. And then apparently there's another one uh, that they already have lined up that's already done. So they're, they're buying up these movies and tacking in the Cloverfield. I don't know. I don't know.
2: Calm but down, Cloverfield.
0: for uh, for what it is. If you just take this as a sci-fi horror flick, I think it's a lot of fun to be had. Um, some, It's, you know, some paradox stuff. Oh, it's in the title. That uh, it's a lot of fun. And I don't know. So.
2: So if uh, it didn't have Cloverfield in the title, how would you rate it as just a space horror movie?
0: I would, I would rate it probably along the same lines as life. Just, okay. you know, a, a B-level science fiction shit goes wrong in space flick. I mean, yeah, it's really it's it's not as it's not that original, really. But I mean, you know, for, for me, it was just a no, good little hour it, and a half, you know.
2: Yeah, if you're a fan of that genre already, it's kind of like a, it's almost like a comfort movie because there really mm-hmm. isn't anything unique about it. And I'm not really saying that in a derisive way. It kind of just hits those classic uh, hell below, hell above kind of scenarios. And there's a lot of things I liked about it. And I'm trying not to think, or I guess just be too harsh about the whole Cloverfield thing, because I do like that this big franchise really, really doing things a lot differently. And I'm really interested Mm -hmm. in seeing how that goes, even if I don't love everything uh, so I'm just kind of enjoying people are trying something different with a big franchise. So,
0: yeah, yeah, I just, I, just, I do not like the immediate hate, you know, that uh, everyone tries to just be the first. Because this movie came out after the Super Bowl, it's like by the time I woke up, all of a sudden there's all these spoilery like tweets and all. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like guys, give this thing a break, you know, let this thing breathe a little bit. You know, I
2: think a lot of people went into panic mode when the the ad. Went up during the Super Bowl. They're like, "Oh my god!" Open up my Word document. I gotta f- get ready for
0: that. Yeah. What? I didn't. I didn't get my free press screening. What? What? <laughs> I think there's. Look, I have to
2: watch look. on Netflix at the same time as you.
0: <laughs> I think. And this is just me reading the scenario. Okay, film Twitter. So don't crucify me. All right. But I'm just reading the room. I I. Here's what I see. Whenever. Paid critics don't get to see the have get the advanced screening and you can you know you can tell me if i'm wrong but if they don't get that advanced screening or get the invite to watch it before everyone else they automatically assume the movie's shit and then they automatically go into kind of uh tear it apart mode and i've seen this time and time again this is all happening with uh Duncan Jones. He has a movie coming out, and people were all getting all butthurt that they didn't get an advanced screening. So automatically they're saying, Well, I heard sucks. I heard it sucks. Word is it sucks. <laughs> it's just like, everyone relax. View these films for what they for for what the filmmakers created, let them breathe. If 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 it's bad, it's bad, okay. But I feel like there's a lot of people dancing on the graves of some of these movies excited that they suck, and that kind of bums me out. Cause I always approached films like, I want to enjoy the film and I want to see, you know, what the filmmaker had in mind. I want to see what worked and what didn't and kind of, and go from there and really not be happy that a, a movie's bad in a sense. Where I, mean, I feel like a lot of people with the Cloverfield Paradox were just like having just so much fun ripping it apart. And I just think I'm mean, like, that shouldn't be a job as a critic in my opinion. And I know there's people out there that disagree with me. I saw some sub tweets after I tweeted some shit, so I know what's up.
2: <laughs> Rabble rouser. Yeah, that's nothing new, though, because like decades and yeah. decades ago, uh, yeah. I like reading old reviews. I have like books of old New York Times reviews and stuff. Um, but that, that would happen. That was kind mm-hmm. of a classic thing. They wouldn't screen movies for critics if uh, they tested poorly with audience or the studio just didn't have faith in it, and that set the tone and as much as technology changes that's what everyone assumes and a lot of time it is true uh but it's not true all the time and especially now that we have uh these super fast release dates right after something wraps uh you know like net it used to be like if something went straight to video that means it was terrible and netflix has completely changed that game Um, It it would be nice if we kind of slowly started changing our thinking that way. I completely agree with you. But this has been going on for a long time. <laughs> like critics would even know, put I it know, I've, at I've the beginning it. of the review, like uh, Roger Ebert would do it. He'd be like, "They didn't oh, screen yeah. this movie for critics, so I yeah. had to go pay for it myself, and now I see why." You
0: know, <laughs> yeah. Robert, Roger Ebert has some really nasty reviews.
2: <laughs> no, sometimes that, like I'll just go into his website and like click on like things he rated two stars, and mm-hmm. it's great.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, it, it's been around a film criticism. Look, I don't, I've never been paid for a film review. I don't rely on clicks or anything like that to make a living. So I, I get it. I get the struggle. I get like, I, I get it, you know, but, um, but I'm, I'm just, you know, I'm just saying like, look, look, just can I look at it reviews as constructive criticism? You, you know, I don't know. But, uh, the next movie I'm going to talk about, I didn't like, <laughs> so here we go. Now wow. I'm the asshole in the room. Uh, Adam Green's Victor Crowley came out and this has been getting a lot of buzz. I think a lot of people were expecting there was when they released it, they kind of did us Everyone thought they're going to go see the original hatchet or something like that. And they sprung on everyone a new film from Adam Green back in the director's chair and uh, the calling it Victor Crowley. And then, of course, all these other uh publications started saying it's a reboot. He's rebooting hatchet. I'm like, what are you talking about? No, this is, this is Hatchet Four. Um, and I, I get that a lot of people love these movies. I get there's a rabid fan base. And, but this movie for me just did not work. Um, so preface that with I love the idea. The opening scene is great, it really sets the tone and I love the first Hatchet movie and I kind of like the second uh, the third one is okay but I think with Victor Crowley it's more of the same once it kind of gets going you have all these characters uh, together and and you, you don't really like many of them and one of one of the characters meets a demise that I it's like was kind of I was kind of hoping for more from that actress I'm not going to spoil it uh for anybody but So I feel like the idea is there. Yes, Victor Crowley's back. These are known for outrageous, gory kills, which those are here. But I feel like the tone of the film, once you get past the beginning, there's like a weird comedic tone to it that just didn't work for me. Like there was zero tension. Cause whenever Victor Crowley shows up, he just screams and shakes his head. And, and you know, and that's, this is character. Like there's no kind of tension or lead up or anything like that. And I mean, that's what Adam Green's always been going for with these is like the eighties goofy eighties slashers. But I think even those had at least some attempts at kind of dread and fear. And like, this is just to me, just a a horror comedy, like straight through horror comedy with some, some fun gore gags and nothing more. And I was, I don't know. And maybe there's expectation. Cause I was like, man, cause the idea is so great and you can really craft <clears throat> like a film that can be both funny and terrifying. Um, but I just feel like Adam Green just isn't interest, interested in that. So it didn't work for me like at all. <laughs> but I own all these movies yeah, I, and I, I I love the idea so much. I <laughs> own all the films and I hope maybe someday I'll turn around and embrace them. I don't know.
2: Yeah, I went, I, you know, I love the classic slasher movies, and I finally went and saw the first two last year, and I was really excited. Uh, I love that they had all these horror names in the cast. I went in with a really open mind, and yeah, they didn't hit for me, and I think it's one of those things where I'm really happy it exists, and I'm happy Mm -hmm. people love it, you know? Like, I don't... (laughs) It's not like an angry. I hate these movies. It's like, oh, this don't work for me. No. But you know, I'm glad you guys are enjoying.
0: them. Yeah, I feel like I I, I feel like the old guy now. You know, who's just mi- I'm just I'm like, am I missing something? <laughs> like yeah, what, this what is am I the missing?
2: Geriatric horror bitching hour. We <laughs> <laughs> hope you've enjoyed yeah. yourself.
0: Uh, no, but I'm I'm I mean anything that has a rabid fan base, I'm so happy that exists because I mean Adam Green has built a career doing what he wants to do and that's always should be applauded and, and committed I and mean, same thing with with uh, with Kevin Smith I was I was joking around with Brad on uh, via text or something and I was saying like you know, Adam Green is like horrors Kevin Smith it's just his fans haven't turned on him yet <laughs> right <laughs> like people turned on Kevin Smith quick, but he still has his fan base. But it was like, but Adam, I don't, Adam Green's never really reached the level of like Kevin Smith Where, but in the horror community, I feel like he's really well respected. He has Holliston, he has his podcast and, um, him and Joel Lynch. Like I really respect both of them. It's just their movies for some reason don't work for me all the time. Like I think that Adam Green, like my favorite movies of his are, um, spiral and Frozen, I love those two films, and I think those work in many different levels above than just trying to be some horror movie. Frozen, I think, is really has some terrifying moments in it. Spiral is just a if you haven't seen Spiral, check it out. It's great. It's an unsettling little film. I think it was, was it, I think it was his first film, or it, or it was his follow up to Hatchet. But um and then Hatchet's fun. Hatchet's a, just a goofy fun flick. So I mean, there's a lot that Adam Green does that I love. So it's just sometimes it hits sometimes it doesn't but he, of course he's going to go back to Victor Crowley because that's his bread and butter that's where he's he's making most of his money so I yeah, mean well,
2: I'm sure they're think, fun I mean, that, as hell to make too
0: Oh I mean I and I haven't got to the the making of I hear the making of on this Blu-ray is just fun as hell so um that that always makes me whenever I see those um a really good making of documentary and you see how much fun everyone's having, that really lessens the, uh, the, the blow for me with, you know, for these films, I really accept them more. Um, I don't know if I said this on the show or not, like the movie, the expendables, right? Awful, stupid movie, which I kind of dig. But once I saw, uh, I, I it's 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 awful it's as it shouldn't work. It's well written, but I love and well
1: it. acted, Sean.
0: <laughs> but once I saw the making of and how much like Sylvester Stallone was putting into this and how much like fun they were having on set, I was like, it. it I was like, yeah, you know what? I'm glad these movies exist because. um So that's the same kind of thing with uh, Adam Green. When I mean, every time I watch him talk about movies or see how him making movies, it just makes me just put all my gripes aside and be like, all right, I'm glad he's making movies. So, yeah.
2: Okay. So would would you put Victor Crawley in Expendables movie?
0: Would I put Victor Crawley in an Expendables movie? Yes. Yeah.
2: And let Adam Green direct it.
0: (laughs) Now we're talking. That one I would see. (laughs) You and I are very similar as we kind of go, uh, we kind of like veer towards movies that we know are probably going to be bad.
2: I go seek them out. I I don't know. I'm an optimist. (laughs) I really (laughs) just, I I go in thinking everyone worked really hard, (laughs) really wanted to sincerely make something good. And from there, uh, who knows, who knows what you'll get. It's exciting. it's a fun (laughs) way to watch movies.
0: I'm down. And I think that's a good and healthy way to appreciate movies for sure. All right, let's, jump into some news with josh obershaw and then we will come back and talk about dark tower josh obershaw what's up man welcome to your news segment
4: i am caffeinated and ready to rock and roll
0: (laughs) awesome awesome so uh before we got onto the call here you were telling me Kind of what Arrow's doing with their announcements. I thought that was super interesting. So I was wondering if you can uh, let everyone know kind of how Arrow Video is handling their announcements. Because they're doing – they got their hands in many things, like even like music or records, right?
4: Yeah. So as a result – plus they also have Arrow Academy, which is um, sort of like non-genre films. Like The The Apartment, for instance, the uh, classic movie with uh, Jack Lemmon. So, what they're doing is they're splitting up their announcements every, uh, every Friday of each month. So, the first Fridays are usually held for reissues. Like, they announced reissues of stuff like Raising Cain and, um, uh, Shock Treatment for the UK and some American titles, especially like, uh, like the Steelbook of Hellraiser and stuff like that. There's a standard edition of the Hills Have Eyes, that's coming out. And I think Arrow Academy is getting its own date, its own Friday. I think the third Friday or the second Friday is books and records. And the last Friday of the month is when we get the good stuff. Like the new, new releases, the new, new announcements and, you know, box sets, limited editions, stuff like that. So... I don't have anything as far as Arrow this time around. Next time, definitely. We should have, we should have the, uh, the, the, the May announcements next time. But here's what I got so far really quickly. Uh, Paramount, Paramount has announced a 40th anniversary edition of the classic stoner comedy, Up in Smoke. Oh man. I've been waiting for this one to come out on Blu-ray. This was actually on my wish list. So, uh, yeah, that's coming out on April 10th. There's, Two different versions. There's a combo pack, which is a Blu-ray DVD, of course, and there's a deluxe collector's edition that has a Blu-ray, a CD of the soundtrack, a vinyl of the soundtrack, a picture disc, oversized joint rollers, <laughs> a repro of the um, of the original movie poster, and they all um, Paramount is also re- uh, releasing uh, "Still Smoking" on Blu-ray blu-ray also on 410 but you don't have to pick that one up now moving on uh fox has announced a release date for the shape of water for blu-ray and 4k and all that that's going to be march 13th tremors a cold day in hell comes out on (laughs) may 1st (laughs) i'm sure there's plenty of fans of the of the um not the trilogy the series out there so i just thought i'd throw that in
0: yeah everyone's everyone's like all about having a a new tremors film but i think everyone is a bit on the you know doesn't like that uh Jamie Kennedy <laughs> has been in the last <laughs> one and is in this one. So whatever. I'll watch yeah. it for sure.
4: I got to catch up on that. I never made it past 2, so I yeah, I got some homework to do.
0: Yeah, you know, they're they're not that great, but I mean, oh. it's a fun little franchise. You know what I mean? Like Exactly. You know. Yeah. <laughs> oh, good, got- for, good for some inebriated watching for sure.
4: Yeah. <laughs> that's true <laughs> yeah i got some uh code red titles i kind of ignored code red for a long time i'm sorry about that but well,
0: their announcements are kind of they, they announced something and then like two years later we finally get like maybe and it, it just gets released quietly
4: <laughs> that's true but they got a movie called the carrier coming out in march there's no exact date for that it j- it's just march but um they've got 1989's offerings coming out on March 20th and they have a movie, they have 1991's The Boneyard coming out on April 3rd. Now get this, 88 Films is also releasing The Boneyard on April 9th. <laughs> of course. <laughs> so, yeah. That's that's still a thing. That little I don't know if you would call it a fight or whatever, but it's a bit of a feud
0: but uh, Code Red's transfers are always pretty, always really good. And, uh, I think compared to the 88 films, I don't know. It's a kind of a toss up on which ones are always better, but yeah, uh, Code Red, like, you know, I give them a lot of shit, but their transfers always end up pleasing me.
4: And in the case of offerings, it's going to be a 4k scan too. Nice. From Scorpion releasing, we have a release date for, uh, Michelle Salvi's The Church, which is coming out on March Twentieth, I don't have a release date in front of me for the sec, but I'm assuming that's pretty close to that. From Synapse, the documentary Unearthed and Untold, The Path to Pet Cemetery, that one's coming out on March 13th. MVD Rewind Collection, this is that new label that we talked about last time. They're putting out the Jean-Claude Van Damme movie Lionheart on June 12th. Also on June 12th is 2005's Abominable. Awesome. I've heard a lot of good things about that one. That was that that is one movie from the 2000s that I missed out on, so I'm
0: kind of excited about that. It's a lot of fun. It's like it's basically Rear Window with uh, a Sasquatch.
4: Oh, I'm even more sold now.
0: Yeah, it's 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 actually really well done. Like it's it's a practical effects flick. And that's what has me I'm kind of confused because they say like new and improved special effects and I'm really hoping they don't pull George Lucas and overlay digital on top of the practical effects now I think there was some minor digital effects work so if they're going to kind of clean that up because it was a DVD only release and I think it was only released for television so they would have to clean up the digital effects if it's going to be in HD so kind of like what they did with like the Star Trek um, Next Generation and uh, and even the original Star Trek, how they kind of because Next Generation especially those all those effects were rendered down to like four eighty to like television broadcast, and that's where the masters were. So they actually had to go in and recreate the special effects for HD. If that's the case, I'm totally happy. So if we're if we're looking like a, at a restoration like like that, or like even like the original Blade Runner when Ridley Scott kind of enhanced some some effects like very uh seamlessly then i'm good hopefully he's not making like a digital bigfoot because that would be an abomination
4: (laughs) 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 dad (laughs) joke time (laughs) totally
0: cool man but no i'm excited about it man this is it's a fun movie so i'm hoping a lot more people get to watch it because it is a lot of fun
4: uh we got a few titles i want to get through really quick from uh shout factory first from shout select David Lynch's Wild at Heart is coming out on May 22nd. Oh my god. Yes.
0: you yes. can <laughs> never have enough. Flick.
4: Oh, totally. Best,
0: <laughs> bad shit Cage at his best. And don't forget
4: Laura Dern. Swoon. Well, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Moving on. Uh, Shout Factory are putting out the 1990 film Caged Fury. That one's coming out on May 8th. And from Screen Factory, we've got a date for The Ambulance, which was previously announced. That's March 13th. The House That Dripped Blood, that's May 8th. The Vampire and the Ballerina and Dr. Blood's Coffin. These are both uh, horror films from the 1960s. Those are coming out in May. Don't have a specific date for Dr. Blood's Coffin, but The Vampire and the Ballerina comes out on May 22nd. We also have Of Unknown Origin, May 22nd. If you've never seen that movie, you need you need to pick this one up because it it is a it is a fun one. It's uh it's Peter Weller's first movie actually.
0: Yeah, this is the this is the we talked about this early on in the screencast. Uh, it's it's the it's the giant rat flick.
4: I wouldn't say it's a giant rat, but it's a rat that just won't go away.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. They, I guess they never. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, this is that's awesome. I didn't know there. Uh, I missed that announcement. I'm I'm super excited for that.
4: And it's a Warner Brothers title, too. Yeah. Hmm. I mean, this, I mean, this is not a, just, you know, a Warner Brothers style that Morgan Creek produced, like with Nightbreed or what's the what are the other ones that they put out? Like, uh, I think the crush was Morgan Creek. But no, this is an actual Warner Brothers title that Screen Factory are putting out. So, hmm. Hmm.
0: Very nice. This flick is a lot of fun. So, you guys got to make sure you, you, you pick it up. We talked about it early on. Just type in of, of unknown origin in the search bar on, on the streamcast.com and you'll find that episode. But, uh, we, we you know, tricky, tricky rat.
4: <laughs> Do you know what else is a Warner Brothers title? What's that? It's alive. And guess what? Oh. Scream Factory are putting that out.
0: Hell. Yes, I'm super excited about this one.
4: They're putting out the entire trilogy. It's Alive, It Lives Again, and Alive 3 Island of the Alive. Mm. So, it leaves me wondering, you know, are they going to put out any other Warner Brother titles in the future? I guess we'll have to wait and see.
0: I think at this point, Shot Factory and Scream Factory have enough pull that I think they can make some deals. Now, they they have some some history under their belts as far as these releases. So, yeah, if that's true, it'll open up some possibilities for some uh, some fun stuff down the line.
4: Well, finally, what I've got for you, Vinegar Syndrome have announced their March package. And there's a little bit of a surprise in here because last week you guys talked at great length about Star Time. Well, shortly after that episode dropped, Vinegar Syndrome announced that they are putting out Star Time.
1: Mm-hmm.
4: Star Time as a Blu-ray DVD combo. They're also going to be putting out – okay, we didn't get Penitentiary 3 in March. <laughs> but we are getting the first two films from the director of Penitentiary. I hope I'm saying this name right. Jamei Fanaka. Welcome Home, Brother Charles. And as a bonus, MMA. What else do we got? Oh yeah Alex uh, de Renzi's baby face two. I hope I didn't butcher that name.
0: Dorenzi yeah I think so. Dorenzi
4: okay all right
0: Brad would know better than me
4: yeah I'm I'm, I'm still a newbie when it comes to <laughs> the Golden Age porn stuff. I'm still learning <laughs> the DVD only features are going to be te- uh, confessions of a teenage peanut butter freak hmm kinky. Okay. And, of course, (laughs) uh, the usual picarama. This time it's Women at Play and Good Girls, Bad Girls. Now, you can get this entire March package for only $89 if you order it before the release date, which is going to be March 27th. Or you can just get Welcome on Brother Charles, Babyface 2, and Star Time. That one's only going to cost you $64 before March 27th. And one last thing about vinegar syndrome. They also announced a title for April. It's called terror. It's a 1978 film. So that's a little bit of a sneak peek of what we're going to be seeing in April. All right. That's all I got.
0: All right, Josh. Thank you very much. We'll talk to you uh, next episode.
4: See you guys later.
1: You don't believe me, do you? I believe that You believe it. But the odds are he was having some kind of attack. He's having a stroke or convulsions. What kind of convulsions can make a man pound his head against a plate glass window? You've seen a man die, Mrs. Page. That's a hard thing to deal with for someone like you. Someone like me. You don't know me. Okay. Well, we're we last. Right, where we ought to be. Video. Oh my god.
0: So today for video, oh my god, we are talking about 1989's Dark Tower. Now, this was a troubled production it was completed in 1987 it was released two years later 1989 uh directed by the fictional ken barnett and starring jenny agutter from american werewolf in london carol Lindley from the poseidon adventure and bunny lake is missing M- michael moriarty who we all yeah. know and love uh from troll a return to salem's lot and just, we had another act, another actor from this movie from last week. It's a live three, which is coming out soon. Uh, yeah. from who, who's releasing it? Screen Factory? Yes. The it's a live movies. So, uh, so yeah, Michael Moriarty is in this and it's a, it's a haunted skyscraper movie. Now, what's great about this. Is, I mean, there was kind of a lot of hype for this because the real directors, it was Freddie Francis, who is like this legendary cinematographer. Um, and he's worked with Michael Powell, John Huston, David Lynch. Uh, I believe he did The Innocence and The Elephant Man, who's the uh, cinematographer in those films. Then he set out to direct some Hammer horror films. Um, it's a Torture Garden and uh, Nightmare are two of his other directorial efforts. So this was like, you know, he was kind of getting into the horror thing, and uh, this would prove to be his last directorial uh, directorial effort. And he was, I believe, fired from the production, and then Ken Widerhorn came in, and he's done Shockwaves, Eyes of a Stranger, Return of the Living Dead Part 2. He was brought in to save the film... Obviously couldn't, and he, him, and Freddie Francis asked to have their their names removed as the director of the film, which is how we get Ken Barnett.
2: Yeah, I kind of wish when it has dual directors and they use a fake name, they would just it like a celebrity couple combine their name. <laughs> they never
0: do. I it. know, huh? <laughs> well, then it'd be too too easy to I guess to to figure out who did it. This was filmed in eighty seven, and Poltergeist three came out in eighty eight. So I feel like around the same time, the producers were like, Oh shit, this other movie's coming out. It has name recognition. Push
3: it out. Push it out. Yeah. They
0: have
3: so a killer tower too. To
0: 1989. Um, I didn't mention in the starring, uh, uh, this Kevin McCarthy, uh, is in this movie as well. Beloved character actor, Kevin McCarthy. And everyone's seen him. Uh, gosh, And like, he's one of those guys that just shows up in everything.
2: Yeah, whether you know it's Body about, right? Snatchers or Weird Al, yeah.
0: One of my all-time favorite films, UHF.
2: Take that ridiculous thing off your face.
0: <laughs> he's the villain in Inner Space. So, Stephanie, what are your thoughts, uh, initial thoughts on The Dark Tower?
2: Uh, initial thoughts? Mm-hmm. This is exactly the kind of movie I love. A couple years ago, I was like getting all my TV from a little antenna and it had like these uh, really tiny movie stations and they would just play the most random things. And I feel like Dark Tower is exactly the kind of thing they would play at like 2 a.m. and I would love. Uh, Michael Moriarty is kind of an automatic win for me. Uh, Shout out to Larry Cohen again. Uh, I I love him. And sometimes he, especially this one and Return of Salem's Lot, he really acts like he's on stage. I'm not sure if he has, like, a strong (laughs) stage acting, but there are some moments in here where it, it almost seems like he's turning away and everything around him should go black. And he's just, like, delivering something on stage. And then he'll, like, turn back to a security guard. (laughs) And that doesn't literally happen, but that's the acting style of it. It's kind of a mess, but it's the fun kind of mess I love. The kills are amazing. The opening scene is so unique. It's so cool Uh, on the side of a high rise. Those window washers have always made me really nervous. (laughs) And it's such a great way to open a movie. Um, Yeah, like, uh, I guess there was that time period where... It was something it wouldn't be full horror, I guess, or full action. It would be, like, really nasty horror-heavy action movies. And I, I think this probably would fall in line with that. Or you could say a horror movie with really heavy action. Uh, <laughs> whichever you prefer. Uh, yeah. I don't know. This is a <laughs> very unusual movie. <laughs> you have so much. Is, I enjoyed it. It
0: is. It and- is. The copy that I watched was awful. Oh, like I could barely God. see what was going yeah. on sometimes. And tough. but but this is my kind of bad shit yeah. and I would love to see some company uh love this film as as much and put out a decent release. And we're going be like, Star a keen... Time.
2: Hey companies. Yeah. I know, right?
0: <laughs> right. Um yeah, Vinegar Syndrome releasing Star Time. How incredibly uh like a coincidental is that,
2: yeah, right? Am
0: I right? Am hell? I right? <laughs> actually, it did actually want to digress here a little bit, but that actually, um, because Brad has a list of all these VHS flicks that I kind of pull from when I'm kind of trying to put these shows together. And I saw the cover of Star Time and I was like, fuck, we gotta talk about that. And so I put it in there and I made, I mean, Two weeks before we actually recorded, I kind of put out a little thing online saying, Hey, here's what we're talking about next. We're coming back. And, um, uh, Vinegar Syndrome dropped me a line. Um, one of the, one of the guys who runs Vinegar Syndrome, I'll keep the name down. I'm not sure if I, you know, you know, don't want to get anyone in trouble, but he hit me up and was like, dude, we're releasing this, uh, this year. And I was like, no way. I was so excited. And I had to sit on that for like, Two week no, almost a month, I had to sit on it and not tell anyone. And it, it was uh So
2: you pretended it, not to know on the fun. show? What? what? I, uh, I don't what? trust
0: Never, anybody. Ever happened. But uh so happy. What I I mean just I mean. having them release Star Time. I don't I don't have any prior knowledge about anything else, I promise. Uh but just having them release that shows me that I'm I think twenty eighteen is gonna be pretty fun. So if they're kicking it off with star time, I don't even know, mm-hmm. but, uh, anyway, dark tower. this isn't the, <laughs> this isn't the, yeah. Hey vinegar syndrome release dark tower. Uh, I don't, I don't have any knowledge about this. I don't know where the heck this thing is. I have no idea if, if a print is even available, but this thing would be a lot of fun. Um, yeah, it's my kind of, uh, crazy and it's, the poster is absolutely incredible Um, I should have the you should see see the poster in the show notes and it's like I want to have that poster on my wall somewhere
2: oh like the casket tower yes
0: yeah (laughs) yeah no Michael Moriarty he's the detective right Mm -hmm. in this and he uh he like talks to himself when he's typing on the computer like this all the time well doesn't make
1: any sense at all, not at all. Not Williams. One minute you're fine, the next minute you're a fucking psycho, a mass killer. There's gotta be some goddamn thing here that explains it. It's nuts. Not the whole fucking world is nuts. It's the problem. Uh,
0: really weird. And then he has that scene where he walks in and he's meeting our actress. I think it's Jenny uh, Agutter, I think. Um, but he, like, invades her personal space. When he first meets her, he like pulls a gun because she's working late. And he comes up to her. Why are you
2: upset? Gun's still uh, gun's
0: still drawn and is like right up in her personal space. Right after and, it, uh, there was
2: like a, a mass shooting in the tower.
1: What are you doing here, Tessa? I have work to do. I often stay late. This is the second time someone's pointed a gun at me today. Tell me about it. I was downstairs in the lobby when the shooting happened. Why didn't you want to talk to the police? I didn't want to tell them. Your friend, he wanted to kill me. Tell me he wanted to kill everybody. No, he was aiming at me. Yeah. Why well, you're so special. Who's that? My husband. He died two years ago.
0: And then that uh, security guard comes in and, uh, he's like, you okay? And the, de- and the detective just goes to her and he goes, um, oh, you tomorrow and he walks away i mean he's he's operating on a whole different level in this film borderline creepy perv in my opinion
2: yes i mean you love him because uh, (laughs) he's michael moriarty but wolf yeah this is probably the roughest thing to try to love
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah
0: there's another there's another line in this film where a woman go uh, he asks to this woman or somebody asks. I didn't, I didn't make a note who's talking, but the, the question is, uh, are you married? And the woman goes, no, I prefer to drink instead.
2: Yes. And
1: he's like, <laughs> <laughs> it's
0: one of the best lines ever. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, no, I had a lot of fun with this film. There's some, some goofy stuff like that in it. And, uh, if, of course it, and, you know, near the end of the film. It's the woman being chased by someone type setup that we've seen a billion times. But, uh, but I, but I think it, you know, I think there's a lot to enjoy in this film. If you can find it, I know that there are, uh, it's, it's on VHS. You can find it that way uh, as with most, VHS only stuff. You can find these, uh, online or CD or like V like YouTube or see your places of the internet. But I feel like this is one that like should be, you know, people should be talking about more. And I know that there have been a few articles written on this and at, uh, I think flickering screen.net wrote something up and then, um, the pink had a write up cause they were, um, highlighting Kevin McCarthy movies. And this gets a really, really fun write up on the pink I'll p- try to put these into the show notes. Really fun reads. Um, and yeah, if you ever get into a rabbit hole of Kevin, uh, uh, okay. Kevin McCarthy films, Rain it's just rabbit. a lot of fun. To just look through his filmography, in the films that he's made.
2: Yeah, it's not a lot. Uh, it's not a lost classic, but it's incredibly unique. It's a lot of fun. You, I don't think anyone would regret watching it unless like, your child is being born and you're like, hold up. I got to watch the dark tower. Oh yeah. yeah, Dark tower. Yeah, no, yeah. And you might regret it then, but under normal circumstances, no, it's all fun.
0: Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't put this on the level of like star time discovery, you know what I mean? For this, for this segment. But, um, you, it's, if, if you dig these types of flicks, like, yeah, you're gonna have a lot of fun watching this. And uh, I mean, Kevin McCarthy, we haven't really talked about him yet. He plays like this drunk, drunken like psychic or something like it's brought in of course like every haunted story you have to have someone come in like a medium and well, who else you know, can
2: deal with these freaking ransacking <laughs> ghost towers <laughs> oh, shenanigans he,
0: well he like he comes in and he's like I'll I'll help you with your problem I got this and then he disappears and then he's like I don't want to do it and then he's like at a bar just drinking when they find him again <laughs> <laughs> But he's he's great. I mean uh so his wardrobe crazy. alone is worth is worth it. But uh <laughs> his character's name is is it Sergi? I don't remember. <laughs> oh my goodness. Um good stuff. All right. Well, I think we've done our da- done enough damage to uh the Dark Tower.
2: We love your Dark Tower.
1: Boy, that sure was a great game, guys.
0: I'll say, that really worked up an appetite. That game really took it out of me. Let's eat.
3: Did I hear someone's hungry? Try the stuff. The great tasting, all natural, low calorie treat where enough is never <laughs> enough. Mm.
0: Gee, that sure hit the spot. How's going. You okay, bro? Oh my god. It's so grody, ew.
4: The stuff enough is
0: never enough. Casey Hansen, the homicidal homemaker, joins us today, uh, dubbed as the Martha Stewart of the macabre. Welcome to the Screencast.
3: Thank you for having me.
0: Of course, I've uh, it's it's Women in Horror Month, so I figured it appropriate to uh, to have you on. We've been wanted to bring you on the show for quite some time, and. we've been flying by the seat of our pants for the past year. So we haven't been able to schedule. So my whole goal is to start scheduling things and getting people on. And, and, uh, so welcome.
3: Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm glad that we could work this out.
0: I've known about your YouTube channel, your cooking stuff. Um, I wanted to use this as kind of a springboard so people can, who haven't seen your show can kind of get to know you a little bit. So when, I mean, how did this all start? I mean, I know you've been involved with writing for websites and things like that. When did the cooking stuff kind of come into play and how did that lead into the homicidal homemaker?
3: Well, I'm going to send you to a little throwback. Remember that site called MySpace that used to be a big thing? <laughs> well, I started on a MySpace a, a really long time ago. Gosh, I don't even remember what year that was, but. I started posting some of my creations. I am an art major and I love food and I love horror. So the Homicidal Homemaker was just kind of a natural combination of the three things I'm really passionate about. And as an art student, that those skills started creeping their way over into my kitchen. So it started off with cake decorating. I just got way too many bad cakes from a bakery and I wanted to, you know, try my own hand at it. So the food, um, combining like the food with art really started off on cakes and pastries, but I wanted to know how I could take them onto savory dishes and appetizers. And the whole idea of starting a blog with tutorials, it all kind of spawned from a, a jello brain mold. I started posting these uh these gelatin brains. And I didn't want them to look like jello. I wanted them to look like actual brain matter. So that kind of was a little personal goal of mine. And I started posting them on MySpace. And immediately people were asking how I did it and if I would share the recipes. And I thought, well, that might be a cool thing to share. And I'm actually a web designer and a graphic designer. That's my profession. So I thought, well, I'll put something together and maybe five people will get a kick out of it. And, and I doubt anyone will ever make them, but it might be fun. And immediately people started showing an interest. When they heard the name, the homicidal homemaker, they, a lot of women felt that they could identify with that name, which I thought was really funny. And. Immediately, people started making the recipes, which was really shocking to me. I I couldn't believe anyone would want to make gross looking food, you know, other than me. And that's when I realized that, you know, I might have something special here. And I really started kind of fine tuning what I wanted to do. I always wanted to bring video to the website, but it just wasn't something that I really had any experience doing. And I didn't have any experience running a food blog for sure. So, I kind of just dove into it and really did it as a way to express myself. I uh, am very involved in the horror genre in other ways, but I felt like this was a really nice way for me to express the artistic side and also to utilize the skills that I use in my everyday career. I normally am doing corporate and medical websites and stuff that I really have no interest in, so it was really fun to get to utilize my skills into something that I was passionate about. And I did everything myself from the ground up. I did all of my own graphic design and all of my own photography. I didn't really have any experience taking photos, but you know, I did what I could and, and used what equipment that I did have at the time. And I always wanted to bring the video into it. So over the years, I really, I really fine-tuned the idea of the show and the tutorials and what I wanted to do. And really I thought it would just be kind of like kind of like the videos that are popular now with like tasty where it's just just hands preparing food with narrative or just music. I didn't ever really think about hosting it as the homicidal homemaker. I thought maybe doing an intro and kind of doing some voiceover. And after a few years of kind of uh going back and forth with a few people that expressed interest in helping me with it, but they didn't really understand my vision or even respect it sometimes. I was very, very, very particular on how I wanted the Homicidal Homemaker show to be, just because up until that point, literally everything had been done by me. So it was really hard to hand off any roles to anybody else. Um, and I started talking to my friend Ian of Neptune Cinema, and he he has his own web series that he's working on now doing a new season of, and he expressed interest in doing um, the Homicidal Homemaker horror cooking show, and this would be something very different from what he was familiar with doing, and he told me, you know, don't think small. Think big. Think of everything that you want to do, even if it seems ridiculous. Just think big. Don't think about what you can't do. Think about what you want to do. And from there, the show didn't just... It, it isn't just a cooking show. It started becoming like a little mini horror movie within every episode. And yes, it does add an excessive amount into production time. But I feel that's what, what makes me so happy with the episodes. I just don't think I'd be happy with it if it was just me talking about a recipe and doing the recipe, I love that my friends and I, we get together and we put our, we put all these ideas together and we put all of our skills together and we're doing this on a very DIY shoestring budget. And we're doing things that, you know, our, our jobs never require us to delve into those areas. So not only are we, you know, having fun with this and, you know, my friends are, helping me to make one of my dreams come true. But we're also becoming better at what we do as, you know, for a living. You know, some of us, um, like Salvador, he does all of the music on the show. Um, you know, this has caused him to, you know, try different styles of music than he was used to creating. And if it's something themed after a film, then we like to, you know, create the music. So it it's similar to the music in the film, or at least gives the same vibe as that film. And, you know, we we combine all kinds of things. Like, a lot of people, they think it's all, you know, CG. They're not realizing that, like, for instance, on the Krampus gingerbread man episode, there's, sorry, spoiler alert, there's a killer gingerbread man, and he attacks one of our crew members, and a lot of folks, they thought that that was just computer generated, but it was actually a puppet uh, that Ian and I made. So all of the props on the show, they're all handmade for the show. And we actually made him out of foam, so he was a little flexible. And I decorated him like the cookie and painted him. And Ian actually puppeteered him using dowels and then composited those dowels out. So it just looked like the little gingerbread guy was walking across the counter. So these are things that you know, over time, we've kind of gotten a little bit more and more and more ambitious, and like for example, our chopping mall episode, you know we wanted a kill bot, we wanted a real kill bot, so we built Ian built this little uh miniature kill bot, and that episode i mean that <laughs> that was a pretty ambitious one uh but but we love how it turned out. we were really happy with it, so um, in in a nutshell, we like to try to you know make a little mini horror film and put it within the cooking show episodes.
0: It's a lot of fun, and I've you know perused to the website, especially uh, since YouTube changed its kind of uh, rules, I guess. And so we've been trying to get you more clicks and more and more watches on everything. And um, it's just been a lot of fun to kind of dive into these. Um, but I wanted to kind of just since we're, our time is limited, like say, so I was. I was looking through everything and I was like, man, what, I want to do something for like, for my office. Uh, we do potlucks like every now and then, like maybe like once a month. Um, so what are some kind of like, cause that some of them get our, you know, different degrees of gross outness as far as how they look.
3: (laughs) (laughs) And, and not, not only with that, but I also do things for different skill levels too. So even people like if they don't cook whatsoever, I have something on there that is easy enough for them to, to make.
0: So what are some ones that you can, uh, kind of easy, like, like a low skill level, um, and something that's not too gross? Like what are some, a few of the recipes you can kind of recommend that I, I try out?
3: I would definitely recommend the brain macaroni salad. I have two versions of it. I I started that was a blog recipe originally, and then I revamped the recipe for the show. So there are two different versions. There is one. So you start off with the Jell-O brain mold. And, you know, most people, they think macaroni salad, that's a potluck staple, but how can you make it gross? And as soon as I started kind of looking at the elbow macaroni, I realized that that could look like brain matter. So that's a really simple recipe. You should definitely not be intimidated by it. It's just as simple as boiling your elbow macaroni with a little food coloring to color it pink or gray or whatever color you would like to do. And then when you make your dressing for the salad, you again add food coloring so it's the same uh, tone as the macaroni but you add a little bit of unflavored gelatin and it's not anything to be scared of it's not going to be like gelatinous macaroni from the 1950s it's just (laughs) enough to hold it together and what you do is when you mix that in there and then you weight it down with a plate and maybe like a can on top of it, it compacts it. So then when you unmold it, all of the macaroni sticks together. But the texture isn't anything different because it's such a small amount of gelatin. And if you don't eat gelatin, the original version used cream cheese as part of the mayonnaise in the dressing. So that's another option. And it looks super gross, but it tastes really good. And I can guarantee that, you know, whoever you serve it to, they've never had a macaroni <laughs> salad shaped like a brain. (laughs) And another one that's really easy is my edible entrails And that was another one that was popular on the blog And I did that as the first episode of my cooking show And that's basically a morbid twist on pigs in a blanket You just roll out your crescent rolls Uh, Store-bought is totally fine And you can make this as gourmet or as inexpensive as you like You can use cheap hot dogs or you can use gourmet sausages And you just lay those down the middle and roll it up and kind of form it so it looks like intestines. And then you use a little bit of egg wash over the top with food coloring, and that adds the color to it. And also when it bakes, it keeps it shiny and glossy looking, so they kind of look wet and gross. (laughs) And that's a really, really easy recipe. A lot of folks have sent me pictures that they've made that with their children, so... (laughs) (laughs) Little kids can do it. And, you know, as a disclaimer, a lot of parents say that they love me and they hate me. They love me because (laughs) I've gotten their kids encouraged to get in the kitchen, but they hate me because their kids want to make zombie hot dog fingers or Mm -hmm. edible entrails every night. So (laughs) I would say that, you know, and again, the zombie fingers are, are super simple. They're just hot dogs, onions, and string cheese. And, you know, food dye to make them blue, like zombie fingers. So those are definitely three that I would recommend for any potluck that would really get a rise out of your coworkers.
0: Very nice. Very nice. That'll be fun to try. I'll do, I'll, I'll make sure I send you some pictures when I, uh, when oh, I do I'd that. Oh, I'd love sure. that. I, I do have a fan
3: <laughs> gallery. And I'm okay. getting ready to relaunch my website. And I will have a fan gallery on the actual website, too. So, yeah. Okay. Uh, Pretty soon there will be a better user experience on the HomicidalHomemaker Very nice,
0: very nice. Yeah, I'm excited to uh, to try this out. So, um, so before before we leave, I wanted to um talk about the the YouTube channel because like it, this is important. Like with the whole them changing up these rules. So if you, uh, can you explain like what's what's going on and why it's important that we all head over to your YouTube channel and, and start watching these shows and try to, you know, increase your, your views there?
3: Well, it's really frustrating because it's like YouTube set the goalpost further back. You know, they give us a YouTube partnership or, or the YouTube partner program eligibility. And that gives you, you know, different features like, custom thumbnails, which is so important, and it it recommends your video to people when they're browsing. So now they, and then monetization, that's always been a tricky one, especially if you're within the horror genre, because they start looking at keywords, and they automatically want to flag your video and think that it's not eligible to have ads on it. So not only was it increasingly difficult for smaller YouTubers to make money, but now it's basically being taken away. If you have Less than a thousand subscribers, or you don't have four thousand hours of watch time wow. in a year. And so the problem with the homicidal homemaker channel, we have more than enough subscribers,, uh, but we could always use more. So if you're listening and you haven't subscribed, <laughs> we'd really, really appreciate that. But we do have more than a thousand subscribers. The only problem is is if you don't upload consistently or frequently, It's really, really hard to generate that 4,000 hours of watch time. So with the videos, you know, we we do this out of pocket. We do it on a very DIY budget and we do it outside of our full-time careers. Mm -hmm. So right now it isn't realistic for us to upload an episode every week or more than once a week. I mean, it's even hard to do it once a month right now. And especially because we don't make anything on our monetization. And now the little bit that we did make is going to be revoked completely as well. So any channel that, you know, they don't upload a lot or consistently, it's really, really hard for them to reach that 4,000 hour mark.
0: It's almost like they're rewarding rewarding, uh, consistency instead of quality. Basically. You know, cause like anybody can just upload YouTube stuff. I mean, my kids watch, you know, they'll watch these YouTubers playing video games. <laughs> they upload things every single day and then my, our kids will come home and see what they played, you know. Um, so it seems, and, but they're not, you know, there's no production value. There's no, there's nothing that my kids are learning, you know, or that anyone's learning from these where shows like yours, I feel like there's a lot more longevity, I think, to the content.
3: Yeah, I, I totally agree. It's um, and it it is frustrating. And you know, it it's affecting people of all channel sizes. Like I, for example, you know, I have enough subscribers, but I just don't have enough videos yeah. on my channel to generate that type of watch time. However, I do know someone who has two hundred subscribers. He has enough watch time, but he just cannot reach his subscriber mm-hmm. threshold. So it's affecting everyone differently. Interesting. So. Right now, there's a whole uh, playlist on YouTube called Save Horror Tube. And if you also search that hashtag on Twitter, a whole bunch of smaller horror YouTubers are doing whatever they can to promote one another. And that's been really awesome. Um, Despite how frustrating and disheartening this whole change to YouTube has been, it's been really awesome to make new friends in the horror YouTube community and also to see how everyone's pulling together to do what they can.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
3: So that's, um, you know, everyone out there that's watching a smaller YouTuber and, you know, they see the content and they enjoy it, do whatever you can just to, you know, get those those views up and get the watch time up and, you know, share it with your friends because it's really, really important. A lot of people, they're losing steam and they're rather disenchanted because, like I said, the goalpost, it's like they've gotten moved further back and it's been really frustrating for us. So... Um, we would really, really appreciate anyone giving us a watch and, um, you know, the episodes are not available just on YouTube. They're available on the screen, bro, Scream- gosh, I'm getting tongue tied here. <laughs> the Screambox platform. We have them on our YouTube channel. I mean, on our Facebook page, okay. uh, we have them on Vimeo. And also in the central California area, they're on the local station on at and and on Comcast. So there will always be a way for you to enjoy our episodes, but right now we're really in need of help on YouTube just so we can, you know,
0: yeah. keep
3: our YouTube partnership.
0: Yeah. Awesome. Well, um, I'll put everything in the show notes for everybody. I'll make sure I, uh, put a link to the save horror tube, um, as well for everyone. And, uh, yeah, and we'll send everyone your way for sure.
3: Thank you. I really, really appreciate that. And and we have some really cool stuff planned for 2018, uh, not just limited to horror cooking show episodes. We're going to try some... Uh, different things. I have some creepy crafting videos and DIY to die for. So (laughs) there'll there'll be some new content coming and I hope everyone enjoys it as much as we do.
0: Awesome. Awesome. I look forward to that. So where can people find you online? What's the easiest place for people to find you?
3: Easiest place to find me is on my website, which is thehomicidalhomemaker.com. I have links to all of my social media on there. On Twitter, I'm HomicidalKCKA C i am homicidal Casey, K-A-C-I. Uh Facebook, uh, Facebook.com slash homicidal homemaker, Instagram.com slash homicidal homemaker. Uh, gosh, what else is there? YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> YouTube.com slash Homicidal Homemaker. I'm pretty much Homicidal Homemaker or Homicidal awesome. Casey on everything. Awesome, so awesome. Um, there will be a brand new version of the HomicidalHomemaker.com hopefully before Women in Horror Month is over because... <laughs> This is the anniversary of launching the homicidalhomemaker.com and the first episode of the Homicidal Homemaker Horror Cooking Show. Um, It was important for me to do both of those uh, launches during Women in Horror Month in the past. So I'd really like to get the new version of the site up during Women in Horror Month. And uh, if you head over to that site, you'll be able to find... All of my social media and links. And if you have a cooking question, you can feel free to send me one there. And if you have suggestions for a recipe that you'd like to see on the show, you can also use my contact form or email me from there.
0: All right, Casey, well, we wish you the best of luck and we'll be, uh, I'll make sure that I'll watch some videos and uh, keep it playing throughout the night.
3: Thank you. I really appreciate that.
0: (laughs) And we'll have you on, we'll have you on soon. We'll get something scheduled and have you on and uh, talk some movies with us.
3: Oh, that'd be awesome. I won't shut up, as you can tell. <laughs> but when you start to open that can of worms about horror films, I really, really don't shut up. So <laughs> I
0: look forward to that. That'll be great. All right, Casey, thank you. We'll talk to you again soon.
3: All right, thank you.
1: So, can you help us so.
4: out? Come to daddy, boys! We kill the source of origin. Kill the string
0: We got company.
4: This spring, the night has an appetite. Let's see what you got.
1: <laughs> Nick! Nate, wake up!
4: There's something very important I forgot to tell you. Don't fucking scream at me! Scream or
1: break your neck <laughs> Don't scream, Miss. Don't scream.
0: Let's talk about sexy vampires. Let's jump into Stream Screams. 2001's The Forsaken.
2: Yeah.
0: This is directed by J.S. So Cordon. How to pick the uh, same thing. Brad has a list <laughs> of <laughs> movies that are in HD and streaming, but not on Blu ray or anything. Uh, and I just kind of go through go through that list and uh sexy vampire well we were going to be covering another vampire flick right that i teased on the show uh fright night 2 but fright night 2 got was like on amazon prime for like a week and then i guess they didn't have the rights to it or something and then they pulled it so all this planning all the stuff i was going to do about fright night 2 out the window so uh i figured we might as well do another vampire movie and we ended up with uh, the forsaken all right. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, J.S. Cardone, he, he wrote The Covenant. Hey! Mm-hmm.
2: Did you notice that started streaming after I told you about it? The Covenant? Nope, I no. was thinking <laughs> of The Convent. <laughs>
0: The convent. The convent.
2: Ignore me. Anyway, edit me out of this he,
1: podcast.
0: <laughs> It'll just be me talking to myself. So, J. S. Cardone. We've talked about him before. He directed The Slayer from 1982. He's directed other films such as uh, Shadow Zone, which I have not seen, uh, and other things. But uh, the Forsaken. The Forsaken. I feel like kind of got lumped. It came around uh, out around the same time as like Dracula 2000. And I feel like it kinda unfairly got lumped into uh just, just shitty vampire movies with beautiful people, uh beautiful young actors in it. And uh I actually kind of dug this thing. It stars Kerr Smith, uh Brandon Fair, Isabella Miko, and Jonathan sketch
1: I just
2: thought it was like shatch, Whatever. I can't pronounce one.
0: I'm just pronouncing it wrongly. <laughs> S C H A E C H. He's one of those actors and whenever I see him, I'm like, oh, that guy. Like John that though. guy, he's like he's, he's like brooding and sexy and probably has abs under that shirt.
2: Whoa, but, uh, John. Okay. Yeah. Uh,
0: he embraces the chest hair. Good on him. Um. But he's yeah, he plays like the bad vampire. So this is very much like Lost Boys feel. Uh I liked that it went. It was R rated. I was expecting like a PG-13 vampire flick, but it's actually, it's actually R rated. So I was like, okay, well, yeah. uh, all right. We're going to start this movie off with, uh, with some boobs. Okay. The and there's some F-bombs. I can handle this. And, um, unfortunately, I, I feel like, so what's, what's the, what's the plot of this thing? It's like, it's like every other plot, right? But our main character, um, Hold on. I'm, I'm losing. I'm getting I'm getting ahead of myself. I'm getting all excited talking about uh, the Forsaken, and I'm like losing my place here.
2: Is it the abs? I did it then.
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm thinking about abs. Sorry. Uh, so Kara Smith plays Sean, spelled the right way. Uh, he is hired to take this car across country, uh, as a job. And he's taking this job to take, take this car across country because it'll give him excuse and a way for him to get to his sister's wedding. So he's driving from Los Angeles to Miami and along the way, uh, he picks up a hitchhiker who happens to be a vampire hunter. And, uh, his name is Nick and he is played by, uh Brendan Fair. 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 But you don't, don't see
2: his abs, so Sean doesn't care.
0: No, no. Fuck that. No abs. Say your name. Gonna keep on going. <laughs> uh so he picks up this uh this vampire hunter, and then they also run into this girl who's apparently been bitten or something's wrong with her, played by Isabella Miko, and uh they end up getting pursued by a band of evil vampires. And it's it's standard vampire flick fair, but uh, I think if you like these movies, I think there's a lot of fun to be had. My only main, one of my biggest complaints though, was like Isabella Miko. Like she's not really given a lot to do other than play like this infected girl that ends up naked, like all the time.
2: Uh, I don't think she speaks until like the last 10 minutes.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, uh, but which would be weird. Like I'm thinking about like the casting process. I'm like, all right, you're in this movie. Uh, we, you, you get naked a lot, but you don't talk into like the last 10 minutes. You you cool with this? <laughs> it's just very odd. Uh, I was hoping cause she's on the front cover, right? Of the poster and the TV. Like she plays an yeah, integral part of the film in a way, but I feel like, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, it's just felt a little exploitive, Ex- exploitative, exploitative, I can't talk, uh I feel like she's exploited a little bit, and I was curious. I was gonna ask i mean it we're we're in women in Horror Month, and I'm curious what you would think about this film and how she's used i that was like my main complaint about the film. What do you think?
2: yeah, and there's a a lead uh vampire woman who is amazing uh and she's played mm-hmm. by a Fina Orush Good Lord. I'm sorry about your names. Everybody. The
0: names in this film are, I'm sorry.
2: And, uh, she's very sexy. She's very sinister in it. She's gorgeous, but she also doesn't have a lot of lines. <laughs> uh, but I, I didn't really get in very much of an exploitative feeling. It's, there are like, uh, you know, lingering shots of her naked, but it's not, it's not like, uh, the camera panning down her body she's like we're not in michael
0: bay territory
2: and all the men who are around her they're trying to help her there's like no it it, i i think it's actually pretty effective because her nudity uh a lot of times people bullshit and be like oh well you need to be nude in this because it makes you more vulnerable I think that's actually true in this movie because she's mm-hmm. just so tiny and delicate and she really plays that she's in pain well. It actually mm-hmm. just made me feel like, oh God, please help her. She's completely vulnerable right now. She really needs you. So I don't feel like they're like, oh, check out, she's gorgeous. But they're not like, oh, check her, check her out, she's naked. It. I almost think like they're kind of confronting what people would assume her part in the movie would be.
0: Right. Well, yeah. Well, and the one time, the, the one main time it happens, the main main character, Sean, comes in and he's like, well, what the fuck are you doing? You know? Um. So, so I, I, yeah, I mean, but yeah, I was, I was curious. I was like, gosh, I don't know, you know, what to feel about this, but. Overall, though, I think I really dug the uh, Forsaken. what What are your, what are your thoughts?
2: I did too. This film as a whole. Um. Yeah, I I had always seen this poster. I remember when it first came out, and it's funny because I had a huge crush on Brendan Fair when I was young, because uh, he was in Roswell, which was a show I loved, and he reminded me of like a young David Duchovny, uh, with like a little bit of Brad Renfro thrown in. So. I was my type and I loved Kirk Smith. He was on Dawson's Creek. Ah. And so I was like, okay, so you're getting the kids from the popular teen shows and you're making another PG 13 crappy horror movie. And this was around the time I I was getting like a little snooty about horror movies. I'm like, I only watch real (laughs) horror. I'm not going to watch these glossy things anymore. And yeah, that's how it was marketed. And um, it, well, it's not PG 13. There's exploding heads in here.
1: Mm-hmm. Um,
2: mm-hmm. it, yeah, it's a lot grittier than I uh, expected it to be. Um, I was pleasantly surprised. It's a lot of fun. Um, it's not really glossy. It's, you know, you'll definitely get like near dark, near dark kind of vibes from it, but, uh, I wouldn't call a straight ripoff. And if you're like me, I'm a huge sucker for um, like Southwestern road trip movies, especially in the horror genre. And uh, especially when they take the time to film a lot at night and during the day, that's such a specific thing to enjoy. But I enjoy mm. that. And uh, <laughs> so if you enjoy a uh, road on the road horror movies where like all the action takes place on the road, little side stops. This uh, did a great job. Uh, I think Jonathan uh, was a little ridiculous as the vampire. Uh, he <laughs> hammed it up a little bit more than I think the tone allowed for, but it didn't ruin it. Yeah. And it was interesting to see. There's one scene where he's he's like stalking someone and um, reciting Metallica lyrics to him. <laughs> <laughs> like, okay, you got me. I'm in. <laughs>
0: Oh my god, I mean, he's there's a scene on the, when he meets those people on the beach and it, I mean, that, that gave me big Lost Boys vibes, mm-hmm. when they kind of stumble across that party happening on the beach and he's like give us a beer, you know <laughs> Another they're one. like, no, those are beers <laughs> and uh, of course then people die, but uh, doesn't he rip a guy's heart out?
2: He ripped something out <laughs> and he drank yeah, a beer I, while he did it <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: So there's moments like that that, uh, that really elevate what could have been. I mean, if this thing would have been like a PG-13 vampire flick, fuck this movie. Like it, would, it wouldn't have been as good. The fact that they added, that they went for it and decided to make it R-rated. And I feel like this got lost in the shuffle of all these movies that came out. It feels like a late 90s movie it came out in 2001. Uh, the soundtrack is <laughs> good guys. <God. laughs> Uh, kid rock nickelback I mean you the soundtrack'll give you serious late 90s vibes um it feels like it got lost and then the marketing the poster didn't help because they were wow. doing all they're all marketing these movies like all the same and just looked it, it just it did just did not look appealing to me at the time especially too when this movie came out I was like no it's just gonna be some dumb uh some dumb stupid film and uh it's great I think you know you should uh you should check it out it's streaming on yeah, voodoo you, in HD looks pretty great
2: yeah it's, if you can take the movie title off your poster and replace it with like urban legend 4 then maybe you should rethink <laughs> it yeah
0: definitely yeah it looks like i mean i know what you did last summer urban legend all those i mean you can basically interchange all the titles on this poster pretty much and and it all looks the same but uh yeah i think i think this is something you should if you like vampire flicks Lane road movies i definitely give this thing give this thing a try
2: yeah i still don't know why they use wb actors on the poster making it look like that and rated at R.
1: Oh wow, Queen Bit Uh, oh. there only can be one Queen Bit Uh, oh. the battle has begun. Break your claws, never pause in the race for the crown. Someone's going down.
0: John Doolin, uh, from the podcast You Can't Sit With Us joins me right now to talk uh some vampires and the Forsaken. John, welcome to the screencast.
5: Thank you so much for having me. I've been a listener for all these years. Nice to be on it for once.
0: You're lying. You haven't listened to the show that long.
5: I totally swear. I've been <laughs> listening since you did the Scream Factory only episodes.
0: Man, well thank you. I've I've been wanting to to connect with you, especially since your podcast came and joined with the Screamy Pods Network and this whole little experiment yeah. I'm doing, so so you know, it's really good to talk to you.
5: Amazing. I'm so happy to be here. <laughs>
0: So the reason why I have you on is um, we chose The Forsaken as our uh, one of our stream screams uh, for the for this episode. And you tweeted out that uh, you tweeted to me that this movie kind of uh, confused teenage Johnny uh, <laughs> yes. in many ways. So uh, <laughs> I was like, man, I got to have John on here to talk about this because there is some, uh, and, 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 Steph and Stephanie, and I touched based on this just a little bit, but there is some, uh, homosexual, uh, under, I don't know. What what would you call it? Like
5: they're high key undertones. I yeah, guess Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. So i I wanted to just, first of all, just t- if we can just touch on that and I guess go from there. What, what, was the main thing that really caught your your eye when you first saw this um in the theater
5: i I saw uh i went with my dad to see this my dad went to go see all the shit with me when i was a teenager (laughs) like that was like our bonding thing he took me to a lot of gay movies that poor man (laughs) Um, (laughs) but i was 16 years old when i saw this and i was like oh it's just a vampire movie just because i grew up watching horror so i was like oh yeah cool And I'm watching it. And, like, first of all, it's got Kier Smith in it, who's the lead. And for Mm -hmm. any child of my age, you know that he is the gay boy from Dawson's Creek. Mm -hmm. So that casting was not accidental. (laughs) And, like, as as the movie went on, like, you think, like, oh, it's just, like, a little bromance. Then, like, it just becomes this entire huge, like, HIV allegory. And, like, six year old John is just like, oh, my God, Kier Smith is all sweaty and, like, fighting with daddy jonathan sheck and oh my god jonathan sheck is grabbing the barrel of that shotgun that just happens to be at the crotch range of Kerr smith (laughs) (laughs) so i was just like it left me as a 16 year old boy who didn't know what the hell he was at the time because i was a late bloomer Mm -hmm. um it's just like that movie is not what it what it seems to be on the surface Mm. and of course as i got older you know I like research, like the director. I watched all the director's films. He did like uh, Wicked Little Things and uh, Mummy and the Armadillo, and he also wrote uh, The Covenant, which is also one of the most homoerotic horror films ever made.
0: <laughs> but I haven't, I haven't seen The Covenant. Is I remember seeing that. Uh, like when the trailers came out and it was all the, around the same time, all these young kind of CW type, you yeah. know, um, horror movies were coming out and they're all marketing the same, the same kind of thing. So it just looked like one of those.
5: Oh, I mean, it is like total and utter like hot garbage. But I mean, <laughs> if you're if you're like a gay teen boy, it's pretty much everything. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: So, uh, so did you, I saw you were, uh, did you rewatch the first segment just, just for this conversation?
5: Oh, I absolutely did. It's been a few years since <laughs> I've actually seen it. So I was like, oh, I should just rewatch it real yeah. quick.
0: <laughs> so what was your kind of, in contrast for, you know, the 16 year old you and then rewatching it now, um, you know, as an adult, like, what were there some, did things kind of pop out even more? this time around or what you know
5: you know a 16 year old like I you know I was a virgin at the time you know I hadn't been dating I you know I dated girls for a while too back then you know so you know we all go through phases (laughs) Um, but you know now it's like you know I have my entire sexual history to go through and like you look at it and it's like such this allegory for like, unprotected sex, and, like, that's, like, a terrifying thing in the gay world, and a lot of, like, heterosexual people, they don't really think about it, but, you know, the whole AIDS epidemic, it's terrifying. Yeah. And a lot of vampire movies, actually, you know, Near Dark does a lot with that, too, like, drug addiction and all that kind of stuff that they work in, and this one kind of rips off that movie to no fucking end. (laughs) (laughs) But, I mean, you know, you have, um, you know, uh, Keir Smith's character, when he first gets into that Uh, that scummy, like, motel on his first night on the road, and he hears, like, the attack going on in the next room, and he's, like, all interested, and he puts his, you know, ear up, like he's listening to, like, somebody have sex. But then when, like, the attack happens, it's, like, you know, when the orgasm happens, and Mm -hmm. he literally, like, assumes the position with the arched back, and, like, I've seen that position on people (laughs) before, you know, like, it's it's so interesting. And... You know, they even talk about, you know, how she when they refer to vampirism, they refer to it as being infected. Yeah, Which yeah, is definitely. Something. And
0: that infection takes it does take a hold in as a main part of the film and trying to, you know, not, not I guess fight that fight the infection or keep it at bay until they can, yeah. you know, find the source of, uh, yeah. of it or whatever.
5: Taking a bunch of like cocktail drugs and everything to kind yeah. of keep it. I mean, they even call out HIV by name at one point when he brings up the cocktail drugs mm-hmm. and all that. stuff but i mean it's even like i think it even goes beyond like the hiv allegory to just being gay in general like they talk about how it's powerful and seductive and the only way to stop it is to get to like hallowed ground at this like church that they're heading you know what i mean so it's like i grew up catholic and i'm i'm not anymore but as somebody who grew up catholic i mean like that was a thing you know like i know you grew up religious too so i'm sure yeah
0: yeah. yeah, the so vampire like, movies are always there's always that religious element to it where, you know where oh, um yeah. with the crosses and everything like that. Um what what uh <sighs> Man, this movie—it's it, just—it's so funny because I didn't even that like that didn't even register in my brain when I was watching. So I was just watching it, it as like, oh, this is just some CW version of Lost Boys or Near Dark, you know? That's yeah, and yeah. and and with all vampire movies, there always is that homoerotic aspect to it. I mean, the Kiefer oh, Sutherland yeah. in the Lost Boys, like hands down like there's that there's that there's like this that sexual tension you know between everyone and that's always just kind of a you know even if you think about like um you know the Anne Rice novels and and last interview with a the vampire there's always been that element to vampire oh. films you know for you know and and I've seen it and, but me being you know growing up you know, Christian, and having that, like, oh, you know, gay people are crazy, gay people are weird. I don't know. And that always gave me that weird feeling in, in those movies. And now, being you know, moving all past all that stuff, you know, I, I just, it, it's always that element's always been there. But I guess I just kind of looked, overlooked it, and just, oh, it's just part of the vampire film. But this one, did you, yeah, would you say this one more than the others kind of well, touched I mean, on that? I,
5: I think Lost Boys and Fright Night pretty much take the cake when it comes to erotic <laughs> vampires. Yeah, yeah. But it's for something that's like a little more modern. I think this one points to it a lot, and like it's for a couple different reasons, like the visuals too. When um they had they like had like these two bros come uh, like the vampires they pull these two bros over to come like to steal their car and kill them or whatever. And Jonathan Sheck, who is like, like I said, he is like straight up a daddy in this movie. Like, <laughs> and he makes this homeboy get down on his knees in front of him. Yes. He literally like shoves the gun in his mouth and he's pushing on the back of his head with his hair. It's like, I've seen that visual before too. <laughs> you know, it's like and you know, he grabs the snake and it's like, mm-hmm. oh, is that a you is that a snake you're choking or are you just happy to see me you know
0: looking at that picture right now actually
5: (laughs) but yeah this one has it a lot and like i said it's as i got an older you know the whole suppressing this thing with like a drug or something like that rings very true now like back in that time it was you know that experimental drugs and like now it's like every gay guy I know is on like the PrEP Truvada medication, which is um, it's to prevent HIV infection and stuff like you know it's like a precautionary one and like that's the new thing. So it's like being on that you read more into this whole like drug suppression thing too and everything. Wow,
0: that's that's I'm I'm so glad that I have like your perspective on this because like I said I just wrote it off as just some. You know, just just some modern-ish vampire films. Don't get me wrong;
4: the movie's
5: still kind of trash. You know, <laughs> yeah, it's
0: fun. It's fun trash though. Yeah. We, we, we we had fun with that because I, like I said, like when I was talking with with Stephanie about this, I was pleasantly surprised by his R rating because so I just assumed this would just be some vampire light film yeah and there's at least there's some teeth pardon my pun uh there's some teeth to it and uh so i, I had a lot of fun bringing yeah, that super bloody <laughs> yeah yeah so and there's
5: breasts everywhere too and let me tell you gay men love women's breasts not in a yeah. sexual way in like uh we love to see women like being in control of their sexuality and mm-hmm. like things like that. So it's like, hell, the more breast, the merrier in my book.
0: <laughs> well, I mean, I, I, I would give an amen to that as well. I mean, <laughs> you know, on both levels, you know,
5: common ground. <laughs> uh, <yeah. laughs>
0: awesome. Um, well, John, thanks. Thanks for bringing your perspective into this. That's uh, it's just fantastic to be able to talk with you about that. And um, where, so, so where can people, you know, I want to talk a little bit about your your podcast while you know while we have everyone's okay. ear, you know, because um, I didn't even know you had a podcast until you hit me up about it, and I I love it so much, like <laughs> you and uh, Spencer, right?
5: Yeah, Spencer, who's uh, my best friend. He works because uh, both him and I we work on film sets together, so mm-hmm. that's where we met.
0: Yeah, and just, just you. I mean, it's just hearing both you just kind of just talk about these movies and and you, both your perspective is just, just, I love it so much, and I'm just sitting there with a a, a grin on my face whenever I'm listening to it. So I want to make sure everyone checks this out, like, um, because you guys talk about all sorts of movies, uh, but you you do have that you love horror movies, and yeah. So, but you're you're also a, a writer and a screenwriter, correct? Yeah, correct. In, in in your own right. So um, so when when did you guys start doing the doing the podcast?
5: Um, we started doing it, I think it was uh, a little over two years ago. And we just kind of, because we would just kind of like just shit talk with people all the time. <laughs> and they're, everyone's like, oh, you guys are funny. You should like record that. And we're like, oh, okay, I guess <laughs> so. But, you know, and then we kind of hashed out a format where we took like a bunch of like cult and queer cinema and a lot of it's horror movies because fags love horror. Sorry, we use the (laughs) F word a lot. If anyone gets offended, we can. (laughs) Uh, You know, like gay people love horror. So we focus a lot on horror. We do a lot of camp movies. We do a lot of like things we call like sleepover movies, like things you would have seen as a as like a young kid at a sleepover and stuff like that and nice. we try to pick movies that we generally like cuz we don't like to like shit talk something so we'd rather praise something that doesn't get a lot of attention more than anything. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I'm, I'm very much that way too like uh yeah. you know it's it's easy to shit talk something but it's exactly. It, yeah. <laughs> I'll still do some shit talking but I, I I'll move on. <laughs>
5: <laughs> well, I mean we th- we do, we th- we talk a lot of shit anyway. But.
0: <laughs> right. That's just a long, that's just happening any, anyway. I mean, but, but that's the thing. You can, you can kind of talk shit on something that is endearing to you. You know yeah. what I mean? Like yeah. you kind of, you can kind of jab it a little bit. But, um, like, you know, especially like with a movie like The Forsaken, there's, there, there is a lot you can kind of pick apart and kind of have some fun with it and, and, and jab at a little bit. But ultimately, like I have uh, had a really fun time. Oh yeah. It's short. It, you know, it's the best part. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, um, uh, so people can find your, your podcast over at screaming com. It's right there. Um, you also are on, uh, on Twitter. Um, and is your, what's the, what's the best way for people to find you just to, through, through Twitter?
5: Yeah, you can do, um, I'm, I go on Twitter and Instagram like all the time. I'm a junkie. So <laughs> it just, <laughs> it's, johnny j-o-h-n-n-n-y j-o-h-n-n-y underscore Duolin d-o-o-l-a-n which is a, both twitter and instagram are the same okay. thing
0: awesome and all your links are there so well john thank you so much for talking with me and uh, I I think we may have to work it out so you and spencer come on for a full for a full show so uh, we, I'm gonna look into yeah. <laughs> trying to arrange that and uh, Amazing. it'll be, it'll be uh, pretty fun
5: we'd love to
1: (laughs) before mary shelley could write her masterwork of terror frankenstein she had to experience it i have it in mind to raise the dead yes the skull of the black monk his appearance was said to herald disaster gaze into the eyes conjure up your deepest, darkest fear. Call that
0: fear to form, to life. Let's move in to our feature presentation. Kevin Tenney, no wait, no. Ken Russell's gothic.
2: <laughs> oh no, I watched Kevin Tenny's gothic.
0: <laughs> Darn it. Did I, rush, did I did I watch the wrong one? I'm just kidding. Um so Ken Russell's Gothic this came out in 1989. Why am I asking a question? 1986. Um directed by Ken Russell starring Gabriel Byrne, Julian Sands, Natasha Richardson. This is a um a weird film and we've all seen the cover of the lady on the bed with this weird like demon naked demon child like on top of her and uh it definitely like is intriguing when you see this
2: yeah that's one i remember seeing at the video store growing up and most horror movies i'd be like oh i have to see that and i'd imagine at the movie it'd be like that when i saw i'm like nope nope
0: <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Um, so the interesting thing about this film is that it fictionalizes an actual meeting that took place between, uh, Mary Godwin, Percy Shelley, and Claire, uh, Claire Claremont at the Villa Diodati in Geneva, hosted by Lord Byron. Um, and I'm reading for Wikipedia, so, uh, but this is some interesting shit. All right. It has been suggested by historians and journalists that the events of their meeting, which inspired uh, inspired Shelley's Mary Shelley's Frankenstein and Polidori's The Vampire, and were triggered by the group's use of opium during their vacation together. So this very much feels like an opium induced film. I mean, I think most of Ken Russell's films feel that way anyway. But in yeah, in reality, these people all met together to basically to write these horror movies, this, like a couple of horror movies. And well, uh, there weren't movies but- books sorry books Ethiopian talking <laughs> in, uh,
2: everybody
0: Go, to <laughs> <laughs> uh, books yeah cuz this does not take place in the 80s this takes place in like the well uh,
2: it does on part of it actually
0: oh oh mhm 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 but uh but oh and did i mention the uh, this character actor that always shows up damn it um oh what's his name I'm looking. Oh, Timothy Spall.
2: Oh, yeah. From Harry Potter.
0: Yeah. I love it when he shows up in movies. Because um, he plays kind of the, like, lead servant? Or I don't know what his role He's is. He's the doctor. Is he the doctor?
2: Yeah. And this is okay. back in the times where uh, traveling was such a chore that you basically just, like, I'm coming to visit you. I'll be there for seven months.
1: Right. And you get that in a letter
2: and you're like, oh, okay.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, so this uh this film is very Ken Russell. If you've seen his other films, definitely I was not surprised at the weirdness to it, like the weird sexual nature to it. There's even he has a thing for like metal penises. And, uh, there's one in this, in like a dream sequence in this one, uh, very odd. And, um,
2: I mean, to be fair, there's, uh, some mechanical yonic stuff too. (laughs) There's some (laughs) robot ladies kind of.
0: Yes. (laughs) Um, I don't, so yeah. So the main premise is these people come together to write these horror stories And they're obviously, um, they're, they're, they're having drinky drinks and they're partying down and, uh, getting it on, uh, with each other in many different ways. But, um, but the dreamlike quality to this film is like hard to, to, to pass over. And it's like, it's like, it's just, it's like a feature length, like an 80 minute fever dream with these characters in this big, castle of sorts in uh like in the 1800s what what do you think what are your thoughts on this film
2: yeah it was interesting uh i am a fan of ken russell and part of the reason i'm a fan of him is because you know he has certain threads running through his career but uh, i never really know what to expect from him Mm-hmm. And I, I did not see this movie coming, really? especially uh, looking at that VHS cover for so many years. That exact scene does happen in the movie, though. So that, that was actually pretty satisfying. Yes. Uh, Yeah. Wow. There's a lot to unpack in this movie. <laughs> uh, I thought... Um, yeah, it's kind of funny that it's based on that famous party where, you know, Frankenstein, the mo- modern Prometheus, uh, was birthed from. Because I, I guess I always pictured it like the how it is in the beginning of Bride of Frankenstein when they're just like very civilly, like around a fireplace. Like, hmm, I think I have a spooky story, you know. Instead, it's like these... Uh, people juggling a lot of complex secret relationships with each other. Like one minute they're threatening to shove their head in a fire and the next they're making love. It's, it's a very heightened movie even before things get super weird and super Mm -hmm. gross. It's one of those uh, movies you kind of have to be in the right mood for because it's very heightened. Um, It's a little bit, uh, there's a lot of theatrics in it. Um, but yeah. thankfully, the actors are incredible. I mean, Gabriel, O'Brien, Julian, Sands, Natasha, Richard, everybody uh, well known for being great actors, but they get this movie. They- they're
0: in it all the way. Like they're <laughs> like no inhibitions. Like they're just they just went for it for sure.
2: Yeah. And Julian Sands is just I'm kind of a latecomer to appreciating him. Uh, but he is wonderful in this movie, and he he's nude as well. But I'm sorry, that doesn't matter to the, <laughs> the plot.
3: <laughs> but I oh, I, no, I first
0: uh, I I first started to love Julian Sands with uh, with Warlock. I think it's the first thing that I saw him in as I was navigating through my own horror journey.
2: Yeah, no, he's wonderfulness. And uh, I'm a Gabriel Bryan fan. Like, I've seen him play the devil and everything, but I've never (laughs) seen him play a role like this. And it kind of makes me wish he would have done more roles like this throughout his career because he has... It's so controlled with the flamboyance, with the sexuality, like he's able mm-hmm. to get right to the edge where it's going to it's going to be too much. He pulls back and it draws you in every yeah. time he pulls back. It's it's one of those movies where whenever it's sexy, you feel very uncomfortable that you just thought was sexy. <laughs> um, yes. it, it's a journey. I really enjoyed it. I could see how it would not be everyone's cup of tea. Uh, but if you uh, I don't know.
0: And the- No, yeah, no. It, I I went in just thinking I hadn't I mean I'd like the only frame of reference I've ever had for this film is that poster. Like I and I, I bought it based on that. It's out on the Lionsgate on their uh Vestron video Vestron. collectors series. And it's always one I wanted to see because I'd always seen it in the video store and I had never read the back. And you know what? Even when I popped this in, I still didn't read the synopsis. I went in completely dark on this film, just knowing it's a Ken Russell film. And I don't think I was prepared. I think I was prepared in a way because I've seen if I hadn't seen Ken Russell films before this, maybe it would be a little more shocking and like, Whoa, what am I watching? Cause you're kind of expecting maybe just kind of this weird Victorian, like monster flick. Um, you get that stuff and, but I had no idea about the history leading up to it. The backstory, um, to it, you know, with the whole Frankenstein thing and, and, uh, Mary, Mary Shelley and and all that. But, uh, yeah, I went along for the ride. I had to, once I kind of saw where it was going, I was like, all right, time to pour a drink. <laughs> We're going <laughs> to just sit back and relax and just kind of see where this goes. And, uh, and yeah, I would, I would suggest going in as, as, as blind as possible to this, but just expect the weird. And if you like things that get weird, this is definitely, up your alley and yeah like the, like the sexual stuff in it like is it's so it, it's like I don't think Ken Russell like Ken Russell does he, in all his films does this like weird it's not like like uh, arousing sexual it's like weird sexual where you're like what am i watching i don't know how i should feel right now with each of these um especially when it first starts happening you're like oh this is happening okay oh they're doing it there okay you know
2: (laughs) yeah it's not the glossy movie sexuality it's like you know how like humans are ultimately really flawed and sometimes disgusting let's
1: watch
0: (laughs) (laughs) yes exactly Exactly. So yeah, I would, uh, I would definitely recommend, uh, this film, but yeah, go into it as, with knowing as little as possible and just go, just go along for the ride because, um, because it's, it's, uh, it's pretty great. Um, <clears throat> my voice is cracking cause I'm just, I don't know why. Um, right on. Uh, let's see here. I'm trying to think like, I'm like, maybe I took notes and you know what? on this movie, I, I gave up on my notes cause I just was just like, I want to watch this. So yeah, I'm a little underprepared, I guess <laughs> talking <laughs> about Gothic because I guess I didn't want to just start jotting things down. I, I sat down, put my phone down because I have my little note app up and just enjoyed the thing, uh, immensely. And I, I want, I want to study this film more. Like I now want, oh, yeah. I want to hear the, cause there's an there's audio commentary on here. Um, yeah. Uh, Lisa Russell talks to uh, film historian Matthew Malia, and I definitely want to see that. And there's some featurettes that I haven't got to yet, but I'm really, really, um, I really want to dig into this film even more. They even have an isolated score selection, uh, isolated score selections with audio interviews from the composer cool. Thomas Dolby.
2: Oh, what's Thomas so. Dolby? It's funny, towards the beginning, there's like a lighthearted chase scene and it kind of reminded me of like Albert Band kind of music. <laughs> I'm like, is this going to be like <laughs> <Yes>. a... <laughs> what's, what's this movie have in store? Um, but if you don't want to splash out on the Vestron, I also watched this on that uh, Comic-Con uh, free trial oh, thing cool. I mentioned. Okay. They have it as
1: well.
0: Awesome. Damn, so. Yeah, I was going to say... Um, most of these, cause a lot of people are given, you know, Lionsgate some shit about this collector series, collector series, all these films on the Vestron video collector series, you can stream, you can find somewhere streaming legit in, in HD. They have parents, um, I know for, I've seen most of these on, on voodoo. Yeah. Like parents is on there. I think everything we've talked about from the Vestron series is available at, at, on streaming somewhere. So you, you don't, have to spend, I mean, these are pricier. You don't have to spend that amount of money to see the film. Definitely give these a rent. I think they're all worth watching. And then if you rent it and like it, and then you can, you know, you want to own it, then save up and, and grab it and dig in further um, to these films. Yeah. But I know I'll, whenever I talk about these films, right? I see someone sees that I bought the Blu ray, they're like, well, that's too rich for my blood, you know, but it's like, no, you can still watch this movie. This, the movies are still attainable. This is Lionsgate. They're not going to, they're not going to keep these of away from everyone. Um, they're just finally putting them out, them out for collectors. But these films are, I think, most of them you can find, even if they're not HD, you can find them streaming somewhere and 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 watch them.
2: Yeah, and this one, if you can, I because it seems pretty divisive. Like there's mm-hmm. there's a lot of people out there. This this you won't like this. It'll be a little much <laughs> for you. So if you can stream yeah. it and then. See if you want to pay the price. This would probably be Definitely. a really good one to do that with.
0: Yeah, if you are a Ken Russell fan, I I highly recommend it. If you if you know what you are getting into, I mean, Lair of the White Worm is uh, is one of my favorite films, and I think I think everything I've seen, I've loved uh, Lair of the White Worm. White Worm, I think I loved more, but um, but yeah, Ken Russell, uh, pretty fantastic. We've talked about I think all his recent releases.
3: Yeah, here. He's been we,
0: we've even a mentioned good the devils, time. and that yes. that is due for someone Please. to release. Uh,
2: yeah, and I <laughs> think Shudder took it off streaming pretty quick, which mm-hmm. sucked. Um,
0: yeah, there's some rights issues with that thing.
2: <laughs> but yeah, Arrow has a beautiful Apparently. release for Crimes of Passion. And it's mm-hmm. very. Have you seen The Boyfriend, the musical?
0: I have not. He directed a musical? Yes,
2: starring Twiggy.
0: Oh, my God. Okay. Yeah. It's a Warner
2: Archive. Uh, It's – I loved it, but I love musicals. Yeah, he's an interesting guy. he
0: did Tommy, so I guess that's not (laughs) –
2: Yeah, true. (laughs) He did
0: Tommy, so I guess that's not uh, too surprising. (laughs) But uh, cool. The the Boyfriend. I'll check that out. All right. Well, um, I think that's going to do it for uh, this week's episode. Stephanie, I think we made it through.
2: All right. We survived. Thanks for ditching us, Brad and BJ. Oh, you know what? It's Uh, the two B names versus the two S names. I just uncovered. Yes. a conspiracy.
0: Yep, yep. They're probably starting their own podcast.
2: I'd listen to
0: it. I would too. No, uh, BJ did text me as we were uh, in our discussion here. And she said she's extremely sorry. She, she does, you know, musical theater and they had their, their opening night last night and she has no voice today. Because she, I mean, she sings and she belts. So, mm-hmm. um, so yeah, by all means, it's it's never a, I never want to give her a bad time for not being able to join us. If she has no voice, she has no voice. But if if she has no voice, it's, cause it's because she left all that shit out on the stage. Goddamn, I want to go see her perform.
2: Go do it. That would be a great episode, like, interviewer, like, behind the scenes and stuff. Ooh, do that, Sean. Okay. I'll do it.
0: (laughs) All right. Well, uh, I want to thank all of you guys for listening. Stephanie, thank you for joining me on this, uh, this intimate rendition of the Screamcast.
2: Yeah. Just Just you and me. Thanks for putting (laughs) up with me again,
0: Sean. Of course. Uh, you recorded with Brian Sauer and so you're going to have a little episode with him for, was it for just the discs? Yep. So that should be coming out soon. He like records everything like in a week and then releases things over like the next couple months or something. I don't know. So be on the lookout for that, everybody. And of course, you know, check out the screaming pods network. Um, a lot of fantastic shows on there. Please check them out. We're going to have a lot of kind of cross pollination with some of these shows for sure. Especially the movie shows. Um, and, uh, it's, you know, I'm I'm having a lot of fun running this thing, and I, I just you know it's it's going well. So I want to thank everyone for participating and listening and checking out these shows. Please please check them out and support them. Every one of these most of these shows have their own kind of Patreon or way to support them. Um, so if you go to ScreamingPods.com, click on <clears throat> uh, there's a link for what I call or if called donate. And you can click there. You can support the you can support all of these shows. You can support the network itself. And but of course I'm always I would say support the shows before the network. Send your love to the shows, check them out, listen to them, and throw a few bucks their way if you can. And uh just I don't know, pretty happy with the lineup we have there. And some surprises are coming your guys' way. We have some more, uh, a couple more shows I'm gonna be jumping on board that I'm very excited about. So um of course check out the screamcast.com check out our sponsors over there um, go to the screamcast.com slash sponsors my internet's low it's not loading so but of course coffee shop of horrors check them out use the code screamcast to get 10% off your order and uh, buy all your movies through grindhouse video if possible big thanks to wolfman of mars for prov- providing the music and big thank you for to kevin spencer for providing our look and, uh, next week or not next week, but next episode, a couple of weeks from now, we're going to be doing a gigantic vinegar syndrome episode. Um, I don't know how I, I need to find a way to approach that to keep it from going to like three hours long. <laughs> so that's my, that's uh that's what I'm going to try to hone that down. But, um, uh, a lot of fantastic releases to talk about on that show. So stay tuned for that. All directed and, uh, by that, Kevin S. Tenney. <laughs> yes. Everything is directed by Kevin S. Tenney now from now on.
2: (laughs) Tenny Gas.
0: (laughs) All right, Stephanie, thank you for joining me on this episode. And uh, I guess we'll talk to all of you next time. Bye. Bye. Oh, don't tell me you're leaving. The party's just begun.